This is We Need to Talk About Sam, a podcast where a supernatural superfan and a supernatural newbie discuss every single episode of the hit CW show. This week, we're going to be covering Season 1, Episodes 10 and 11, Asylum and Scarecrow. I'm Kenzie. I'm Haley. And we need to talk about Sam. ended up together in the schedule by accident i think it was just kind of how things played out they go together really well though yeah as we did the rest of the season or as we did the episodes before this but they went together so well i was kind of surprised that we were because we we started watching i started doing my like pre-asylum or pre-episode watching like research and i was like oh oh, the Asylum has this Sam plot, and Scarecrow has the other half of the Sam plot. <laughs> and it just works out really well. <laughs> yeah, so, and they go, they go together. They it's go kind together of like a continuation. Really yeah. One leaves on a cliffhanger, and the other one picks up right where it was. Yeah. Left off. It's, it's just a really, really great set of episodes, and they're actually... They're both very good episodes. I don't remember who wrote Asylum. Um, who wrote this episode? This was written... Asylum was written by Richard Hatem. Um, and Scarecrow was written by John Shaban. And Patrick Sean Smith. I don't know who either of those are. Ooh, Scarecrow is directed by Kim Manners. Kim Manners is a legend <laughs> in supernatural history. He he's ama- he was amazing. Uh, he was one of the only or one of the few directors like early on who <laughs> didn't give a shit about pranking the boys back. Like the boys wouldn't prank him because they knew he'd retaliate. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great season two blooper where the boys get water dumped on their heads, and that's Kim Manners. That was his doing. Nice. Okay, so let's get into Asylum. Um, my first no on <laughs> is no English subtitles on Discovery of, of season one. <laughs> I don't, is there I don't no think English? it's on any of them. I don't think there's English subtitles on any of them, yeah. If you're going for the old DVD, there's, uh, no, there's English no English subtitles. subtitles. So if you're hard of hearing and speak English, you're out of luck, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> on the DVD. It's yeah, really odd. I'll just watch Netflix, I guess. It's a really odd choice there. Um, okay. So our cold open starts us in the asylum uh, as people break in with flashlights. Um, I don't understand why teenagers do things like this. Because they're teenagers and they're stupid. (laughs) I was a teenager once, and none of this stuff... I don't understand why people do things like these. We had old abandoned asylums near our house, though. (laughs) There's some, like, old buildings and stuff, but even then, like, I never really... I guess I just wasn't really a troublemaker. Yeah, I wasn't either. I was... The rule follower in high school. Oh, for sure. <laughs> kind of different than I am now. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, like, as far as my mother knew, I was a rule follower. Because <laughs> there are some ways where I was definitely not a rule follower. Um, I'm such a rebel yeah. now. Our Just cold kidding. open is uh, some kids breaking into this old abandoned asylum and some cops. I like the like blurry camera angles. Yeah, it shows up the it's asylum. Really dramatic. Like it's like ooh, <laughs> as it zooms on in on it. Yeah, like very like <laughs> old horror movie esque, bad horror movie esque <laughs> camera angle vibes. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, two cops show up. One of them is Walter. Um. And the other one... Walter White. No. I don't remember what his name is. I don't know what the other cop's name is. I'm sorry. Um, oh, I, I have the fucking cast list. I do. Um, Walter Kelly. So Walter Kelly is the, the white officer, and then Daniel Gunderson is his like older partner. Um, and they, they follow the kids into the asylum... The kids brought bolt cutters to go, like, into this south wing. There's some exposition-y dialogue where we learn that the asylum is supposedly haunted at night by the ghosts of murdered patients. Only at night? Well, the boys even mention later in the episode that, like, spirits can't manifest at certain times of day. Hmm. Or something like that. Does that rule stay I don't supernatural? Because <laughs> I forgot it was ever even stated. <laughs> I, uh, I we'll have didn't to catch see. that part. Yeah, Sam says something about it. Because Dean, when they go to the asylum for the first time, it's during the daytime, and Dean has the EMF detector and nothing's happening. Hmm. Um, how many goddamn night shoots do you think Supernatural had to do? It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a series of 15 years of night shoots, and one of the boys wanted to be done. <laughs> I would die. <laughs> um, one of the cops... I stopped... <laughs> got distracted. One of the cops get, like, angry possessed, but I don't really know how that happened. Uh, he just... He w was, like, investigating in the boiler room or something. In the basement? Yeah. Which I said, of course, it's the boiler room. Boiler rooms are very sketchy. Yeah. Um, and then he, like, gets, like, all stiff or something. And his eyes change. Or something. I can't remember. We're great at and this. And later his nose starts bleeding, which is apparently a sign of yeah. being possessed. Well, he's not being possessed by the ghost. The I ghost was. is just influencing him. Huh. Okay. Um, I thought he was possessed. <laughs> uh, no. Because um, we learn later in the episode when Sam... I thought Sam was possessed. No, because you see the ghost like separate from Sam. Hmm too um and dean because the ghost like grabs their faces yeah and influences their minds but doesn't actually possess them oh, okay uh which is fucking creepy but still it's a powerful um, ghost yes yes um i don't know what happens to the kids but the cops go home well, one of the <laughs> other cop finds the kids. He oh, like shines a flashlight on them. And I thought they looked way too chill and happy. They're just kind of sitting there they're smiling. A, they're probably a bunch of drunk teenagers. <laughs> they're just sitting there smiling. Like Someone got them alcohol. They weren't hiding from ghosts a minute they're ago. Having a, they're having a grand time. Um, but yeah, the, the two the cops leave. The Walter goes home. Um, 
his wife is like already in bed, and we get some very pointed shots of him like taking his gun off his belt and setting it on the dresser, and then he's like the keys and stuff. Well, his wife is trying to apologize for something. Um, Apparently, they'd gotten into an argument earlier. Or yeah. Something. I guess she, yeah, she's trying to apologize for something. But the minute, like, I didn't really remember how this, this, uh, the beginning of this episode went down. But the minute he took off the gun, and you, like, they show you him setting it on the dresser, and I was like, ooh, she's dead. Yeah. He's gonna shoot her. Which is exactly what happens. Um, and then he, he shoots himself. Shoots himself. Yeah. yeah. We don't actually see the shooting, we see, like, the muzzle flash. From outside the window. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then we cut to a motel room. Somewhere. Where Sam is on the phone with one of John's old contacts. Apparently, John used to go to this guy for ammunition. Uh, he's trying to find out if this dude has seen John, but he hasn't. I was very vague about this scene in my notes. Good lord. <laughs> what are the boys? They argue about um, John being missing. Sam still wants to go, like, looking for John. Right? Yeah. Whereas Dean is like, well, Dad's alive. He's probably like, keeping himself, like, separate for a reason. You know? Yeah. If I remember correctly, good god. What is with me? Um. I don't remember this part either. Why can't I remember <laughs> this part? Uh. Nope, that's Scarecrow. I need asylum. Uh, the boys are checking their old contacts. See if John has been in touch. How did we get the tip for this one? Uh. Well, they argue about John's whereabouts. Dean receives a text that I knew. Oh, with the I guess they're just trying to figure out where John is. Uh, and... But, yeah, they get... I knew they got... I did note they got the text about the coordinates. Because, um... And then Sam's like, the dude doesn't even know how to operate a toaster. Why would he be texting you? Which, like, that's valid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, John has apparently figured out how texting works. And he's texted them the coordinates to Rockford, Illinois. Um, And Dean looks them up and figures out that there's been several deaths linked to this asylum, including Walter and his wife, which is the most recent one. Um... I think they argue a little bit, but to end up going to the coordinates. God, I took really bad notes of that part. I think your roommate was in the room. <laughs> I think that was when Liz walked in and was talking to us, and I was trying to listen to her while also watching the show, and it wasn't helping that there were no subtitles. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, one benefit of watching on Netflix, is you get the subtitles. Yeah. Um, they find Gunderson, the older officer at a bar, and Dean goes in with this, like, jerky, like, dude, I have to know, like, 
invasive role that gets the officer's guard up, and then Sam very dramatically, <laughs> very dramatically comes in and like shoves Dean out of the way and is like, "That's an officer of the law. You should show him some respect." <laughs> it's so fucking dramatic. <laughs> it's oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> It's really dramatic. It's very dramatic. Um, but he comes out of the car, or out of the bar, uh, and Dean's like, you shot me a little hard. <laughs> uh, he found out that Walter was a great cop, uh, that he and his wife hadn't been married for that long, but they had, like, a good relationship, had a few arguments, but every couple does. They were planning to have kids, um, but he, he had really had no reason to just kill his wife yeah um so this is when they go to the asylum during the daytime and we get that great shot of dean flipping over the fence (laughs) which is jensen that's jensen that's not his stunt double that is (laughs) it's all jensen (laughs) man's really athletic impressive yeah, Jared gets the reputation of being, like, the beefcake, because he, well, especially during seasons four and five, like, he beefs he up beefs a up. ton. Yeah. Um, but Jensen is very athletic. I think he played baseball in high school. Um, there's a joke that he was a cheerleader, but it was actually, like, a, like a temporary thing where, like, for, my high school actually did this. Um, there was, uh, they called it powder puff, I think. Mm. Yeah, my high school yeah. did that too. Yeah, and the girls would play the, a football game, and the guys would and be the guys the would be the cheerleaders. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if I remember correctly, that's kind of the situation for the like Jensen being a cheerleader thing. That was kind of what was happening, was that the guys were being cheerleaders. And guys can be cheerleaders too, and girls can play football, so... (laughs) Guys can totally be cheerleaders, and it's actually really handy to have some guys on your cheerleading squad, because they can... Especially when you see it more in college. Yeah. Because they're the ones, like, lifting the girls up and They're much stronger. Like, not that girls can't be really strong, but, like... It can be, it's, it's very useful to have some... them, like, do it one-handed Yeah. (laughs) They can do some really intense stuff. So, they, the boys go, like, deep into the asylum. This is where Sam talks about, Dean has the, like, the EMF detector out, but nothing's happening. And Sam talks about, like, spirits only being able to manifest at certain times of day. Which I don't know if it's ever brought up again. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure if that ever really is a concern again. They do face a lot of ghosts in the dark, though, at nighttime. Um... Because it's, it's more spooky. Because it's much, it's more spooky. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, there's less people around. <laughs> um, but they, oh, um, earlier in the episode when they got the text about the with the coordinates, Dean finds an article about this asylum in John's journal, um, and he pulls out the same article during this scene, but. <laughs> The page that it's on changes. Uh, in the first scene, when he pulls out the article, it's facing the the page about Wendigos. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, in that episode, the that page about Wendigos is facing a different page. Um, and then in this scene, when he pulls out the journal, open that page, it's back. It's facing a different page, like so it's it's a, a different little, spot um, in the journal. Little continuity error. error. <laughs> Um, apparently there was 
So there's a story about some kids breaking into the South Wing in 1972, which is the the news article in John's journal. Um, and the kids that the cops found were in the South Wing. Uh, so the boys go, like, deeper in. And Dean, I think Dean asks if Sam's getting any psychic vibes, which leads to Sam being like, I can't just, like, turn it on and off, you know? And then Dean's, uh, Dean's joke about who's the hotter psychic. <laughs> Sam, obviously. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't remember who the other psychics he lists are. Jennifer Love Hewitt and someone else. He's Again, like, didn't someone or Jennifer Love Hewitt or you. Who's the hotter psychic? <laughs> um, they find a room with like old equipment, like uh, electroshock therapy and stuff. Uh, and they. Lobotomy. Stuff. That comes up, I think, later. I'm not sure. I don't know he if men- He mentions it. Does it? Yeah. I don't remember. I don't know what lobotomy is. You don't know what lobotomy is? No. It's, um... I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but Something if brain, I remember correctly, it's stuff. basically, <laughs> like, they kind of, like... They go in through your eye socket Ew. to get it, like, the frontal lobes of your brain. Uh-huh. But I don't remember why. Some sort of therapy? Yeah. That sounds but traumatic. It's, uh, <laughs> if I remember correctly, it's, it's not, I don't think it's practiced anymore. Yeah. Because uh, it was I don't a very, think any of this is. It was a very unreliable um, procedure. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm, I'm actually going to go into history of asylums in a little bit. Are you? Yeah. I'm very excited. You've got. I, I didn't go into all the practices they did because that's so extensive. <laughs> There's so much that went on in those places. <laughs> but. And but I'm yeah. not a psychiatrist, so I don't really know what any of that um, is. But. Now might be a good time to do it, because this is, they kind of talk about what may have gone on in the asylum. Um, Dean also makes two different references to Jack Nicholson, <laughs> using the phrase, my man Jack. My man but Jack. both times he's referring to a different movie. The first one is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which every film major, I think, has seen a billion times. I've seen that. But... It's, a, it's a very good movie. I just have seen it too many times. <laughs> uh, Alfred Hitchcock? I don't think so. It's based off of a book, I do believe. There's also yeah. a play. Um, and then the other one is, the other one he mentions is The Shining, which yeah. I have not seen. Also not seen that. Yeah. I'm not a horror movie fan, usually. So. Neither am I. Once <laughs> Over the Cuckoo's Nest isn't a horror movie. Yeah. Um, but it, More of a it's thriller a, kind of no. thing. No? No. It's about a, a, a criminal who decides he gets himself declared, um, like, mentally unstable, so he can serve his time in a mental hospital instead of a prison. Hmm. Um, but the mental hospital, like, the asylum he gets sent to uh, is not at all what he expected. There's, like, a a nurse, um, Nurse Ratchet, <laughs> who's nurse Ratchet. very, she's kind of mean. Um, and he kind of, he, like, shakes things up mm. and stuff. It's not really a thriller. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's a good movie. Jack Nicholson is very good in it. But, it's, yeah, I wouldn't call it a thriller. Um, but yeah. We could get into some of the asylum stuff here if you want to. Um, or we could wait until a little bit later. I don't care, either way. Let's go. Let's Let's get into it here. We've looked up the history of asylums. There is a lot of stuff, so, so I'm just scratching the 
very surface of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to start putting your um, your source links into our show notes. Yeah, you do. I need to remember that. God damn it, it's I'm not, bad. It's not my no, not my stuff. I mean, you I'm usually finding. say where you got it, but I'm just bad at remembering. <sighs> It's really interesting. There's a lot that goes into it. Like, again, I didn't look into, like, the practices that they would do. Because mm-hmm. that would be, like, a whole other subject to go into. <laughs> yeah. Another black hole to go into. So, um, this part that I'm reading I got off of Wiki. Um, but I did read some additional information um, off a website from Psychology Today. Someone wrote an article called The American Mental Asylum, A Remnant of History. I recommend you guys go and read that if you're interested. I'll drop the link in the show notes. Um, If I forget, just shoot me a message on Twitter and be like, hey, you forgot, and I'll go fix it. (laughs) He just goes over really well the background of pretty much the history of mental asylums in the United States Mm -hmm. into more detail than I'm going to go into. Um, and if you're interested in the subject, just Google it and you can find a lot of interesting information. But anyway, um, so this is from Wikipedia. So in the United States, the erection of state asylums began with the first law for the creation of one in New York, passed in 1842. It's the Utica State Hospital, which was opened approximately in 1850. And the creation of these hospitals um, was largely the work of Dorothy Lind Dix, who's philanthropic efforts extended over many states and Europe. Um, Many state hospitals in in the United States were built in the 1850s and 1860s on the Kirkbride plan, an architectural style meant to have curative effect. Interesting. So there was like a specific reason for why they did the architecture of asylums the way they did. Yeah, in that article I mentioned he goes into that. Um, So the Kirkbride plan were those like big Victorian style asylums you see? Ooh, the, it, the, the like that like yeah the oh. old architecture and his interesting based on this his last name is Kirkbride and he's like and he believed in kind of the open uh, floor plans with a lot of sunshine and fresh air he's like that that'll help you know that, that's his theory which I don't think he's wrong <laughs> I feel like it probably did <laughs> I hide in my hidey hole basement goblin cave all the time and I'm like no I don't want to go with the sunshine but I know every time I do I feel better she's a vampire I am I'm a troll but um <laughs> You're a troll in the dungeon. <laughs> troll in the dungeon! <laughs> that you should know. Oh. <laughs> Whereas I like my big open windows with lots of sunshine and. <laughs> I'm like close the blinds. <laughs> I like big open windows. I'm just. get. It's very easy for me to uh, get used to. Because, like, I have a blackout curtain over my bedroom window. You know, and it's very easy for me to forget that there is a world outside, because I can't see it. So. He he, he talked about his plan um, and the architectural sty- style. Um, you know, this was the 1850s and 60s. It's kind of the Victorian area, era. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wanted patients, he said, even though they may have the misfortune of mental illness, they should not be denied, like, the comforts of home, you know, and elegance and all this. I like this dude. <laughs> I mean, he, I'm sure he did some bad 
of shitty stuff. Actually, the mental asylum. Sounds like he genuinely like, you know, it sounds like he genuinely wanted to help. The mental asylums actually started out very like progressive and innocent, like Mm -hmm. well intentioned, and then they kind of went downhill from there. Like they got more of their stuff. bad reputation, but from the Sex. beginning, it kind of seemed like they were very well in- attention- yeah. intentioned, and um, like people's intentions were in the right place, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so by the beginning of the 20th century, ever-increasing admissions had resulted in serious overcrowding, and funding was often cut, especially during periods of economic decline and during wartime. In particular, many patients starved to death. Asylums became notorious for poor living conditions, lack of hygiene, overcrowding, and ill treatment and abuse of patients. Um, So the first community-based alternatives were suggested and tentatively implemented in the 1920s and 30s, although asylum numbers continued to increase up to the 1950s. And the movement for deinstitutionalization... came in the western countries in the 50s and 60s and i think by the 90s and early 2000s they were all shut down basically yeah i know california shut down basically all of them and it's actually like it it's had a huge effect on the rise of um homeless populations because previously the homeless people who the people who were mentally ill who couldn't to have they didn't have family to take care of them or any like means to fund like survival they could stay in the hospitals and be okay and receive some treatment but then uh, they were all shut down and those people had nowhere to go and they're on the streets i also mentioned (laughs) in the wikipedia article how uh incarceration has gone up a lot too in the prisons Mm -hmm. Yep. The prison system does not handle mental illness no, well. No, it doesn't. Um, That's a fact. Well, you know, there was kind of pros and cons to these because obviously once the funding went down, they became far abusive from what they and yeah. neglecting. And, you know, they. I think they were known for having weird experimental stuff on the patients and all that. But also on the plus side, that's, you know home for some people yeah home homeless people and a lot of the mentally ill criminals you know if it was possible to get the asylums to back back to what they were intended to be which is like a safe place and there are like mental hospitals in place in different states too they're not that great yeah they're they're nothing at all what this kirkbride dude was intending for them to be my mom used to work at a a solid uh my mom used to work at a state hospital, and yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're not great. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard horror still stories. Still abusive to the patients. They're still, and, yeah. It's like a prison with a fancier name. We really, as of. a country and as a society, need to be treating mental illness better than we are. We really do. And get rid of you know all the stigmas really attached do. to it, and get proper care yeah. to people for it. I think the pandemic has helped with that. Because um, we've seen, even before the pandemic, but especially with the pandemic, we've seen the rise of services like BetterHelp yeah. and Talkspace, which are people more are, affordable therapy options. People that are realizing people... that, hey, you know, everybody's 
in yes. their lifetime is going to suffer from yes. some sort of mental that's what we're, health that's or also, illness. Yeah, that's also what we've seen is people going, oh. This needs to be normalized, not, you know, to go to therapy. This just uh, like, oh, you're broken and yeah. need therapy. This is uh, something that can be necessity a necessity for survival, even if you are technically, like, a mentally well person. Like, you don't have to, like have clinical depression yeah to need therapy you don't have to have a bipolar disorder or you know like you can just be having a hard time yeah, That's... i think we've definitely gotten better as a society we still have a far, far way la- to go yeah though. <laughs> in the last year or so we've improved a lot but we still yeah we have a long ways to go as i know both you and me have suffered from mental illness yeah like, yeah it's very personal to me and i'm very passionate about it yeah. so well you i know you've received treatment for it yeah um i've been to therapy i've gotten meds like, I, all helped me i never lot. have and i've even like i'm still on my parents insurance and i even brought up to my parents like hey I think I need to see a therapist. I need to I would see love a psychiatrist. To <laughs> um, I want to, like, I want to get a fi- an official diagnosis for ADHD. I want to get an anxiety diagnosis because I know that it, it the bare minimum having that diagnosis can be Validates a huge you. help. Not only in just validating, but also getting the meds and stuff you need. Yeah, yeah, but like, um, like ADHD, for example, is a disability that needs workplace accommodations. Yeah. But, and having an official diagnosis will make getting those workplace accommodations a billion times easier. Yep. Just a disclaimer, my mom does work for the state um, in the rehabilitation program, uh-huh. which is helping people with disabilities get the, first of all, like the medical stuff that they need and help them find a job, uh-huh. you know, and help them stay employed and get accommodations they need. So I would recommend, you know, anybody that is struggling with any sort of disability, whether mental or physical, um, look into your state's rehabilitation program and apply, because they can really help a lot. They can help pay for school. They can help you find a job, get accommodation, um, get doctor's help, counseling, you know, so look into that. Yeah. I didn't know that wasn't even yeah. an option. That just proves... They- like I had no idea that wasn't even like that was even a thing that existed, and that's Thankfully, just... I have a mom that works there, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's just more proof of how, like, stuff like that should be more common knowledge. It really should be. You know, every single state will have Has one in your area. Like yeah. So look into huh. it. Yeah. I'm gonna. I actually applied. Yeah. So I'm gonna try and get, um, in with a counselor. Mm-hmm. To help go back to school and stuff. That'd but be awesome. You should it's look exciting. into it, too. I should definitely look into it. But it might be able to help Where... you with your ADHD. It might be. <laughs> I need help. Okay. Let's get back anyway. into Supernatural. Mental um... health tangent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, the boys... Um, the boys... Where we left off... Your water bottle was very loud. I mean, not as loud as mine, but... <laughs> Where we left off, the boys are kind of deep in the in the south wing. They found a bunch of old equipment, um, and they speculate as to, like, what could have happened to the patients and stuff. I mean, like, what could be happening, and Sam 
or they talk about um, how spirits can possess people, but they can also just drive people insane. Spirits can drive people insane? Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, kind of what the spirit in this yeah. episode Ellicott. is attempting to do. Or not... It's not what he's attempting to do, but it is what he's doing. Um, the boys have a bit of an argument here about how they should be looking for John. It's that Sam is like, we're just following dad's orders again. You're just like, why are you just doing what he tells you to do? And Gene's like, if John or if dad wanted our help, he would ask for our help. But dad wants us to work the job. So that's what we're going to do. And (laughs) Sam doesn't agree with this. Uh, But they are here already. They might as well work the job. Um, This is when Dean finds a plaque for Sanford Ellicott, who I think was like the chief of staff or something. Like chief psychiatrist? Yeah. Leader? Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) The the asylum. And uh, we cut to Sam in a psychiatrist's waiting room. (laughs) Um, and he has a magazine in this scene, and I don't remember what it was he was reading. Oh, I don't know. It doesn't say in the the wiki. I was hoping it might. Um, but there's, like, a very pointed shot on the magazine, and I didn't, like, look to see what the magazine actually was. So Sam has actually, so this psychiatrist that Sam's seeing is actually the son of Sanford Ellicott, um, the guy who's like plaque being found at the asylum. And Sam is here as, under like the guise of being a new patient, um, but he's really, he really wants to pry for information about like what happened. He says he's like a local history buff. What's <laughs> um, funny is Sam pretends to go to a therapist, or he does to pretend to need help, and he actually ends up getting some I think he gets a little help. therapy. He gets some therapy. I'm not sure how helpful it actually is, but um, well, the doctor... a little bit. The doctor's like, you know, what's been going on? And Sam's like, oh, just, you know, the usual, having a road trip with my brother. And, and he keeps trying to, like, go back to the, the topic of the asylum. Um, and... The Roosevelt Riots, I think is what it, he called it. Which is apparently um, how Ellicott died. Yeah. Um, the doctor is like, which listen, like, isn't the we're doctor, on your dollar. It's, he's the is son. The son. Yeah. yeah, he's the son of Sanford Ellicott. Um, he's like, we're on your dollar. And he's like, if you're a local history buff, then you know all about the riots. But I will tell you what I know. If first you... <laughs> You tell me you something, tell me something about, about yourself. You. <laughs> and he says, how do you feel about this brother of yours? And Sam is so awkward this whole scene. Oh my god. I love him. He's such a... He's an awkward baby. I said, Sam is me when I talk to doctors. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just we're doing some stuff and it's not really that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, so we never... We don't, we don't know what's... Sam told the doctor about Dean, but the doctor did tell Sam about the riots, how patients took over the hospital, and cops never recovered Ellicott's body, among others, which means a potentially a lot of angry spirits are in that hospital. Um, and they're planning to go back that night. Uh, but, but before they get there, another pair of teenagers breaks in. 
um, Kat and her boyfriend Gavin, who has brought her here instead of taking her to the movies. Like she said, they were go. He said they were going to go to the movies, and now they're at this abandoned assignment. She's she's not pleased about it. Um, I would not be either. Yeah. Gavin wants to explore deeper into the asylum. Cat wants to leave. She should have ditched his dumbass here. Yeah, and he takes off without her. Yeah. Well, she she's like, I want to go. And he's like, well, I want to keep looking, so you just sit right here. Like, you stay here, and I'll just go look around some more, and then we can go, you know? But then they get separated, because the door closes. And then Gavin makes out with a ghost. <laughs> oh... Which is, uh... What is this show? It's, it's awkward. <laughs> it's kind of... It's kind of icky, because, like, this ghost is obviously, like, the ghost of, like, a mentally Ill, Ill woman who died. Uh-huh. Like, a brutal, violent death. Uh, at making out with a teenager. I don't know why the scene is I included. I don't know why it's included. Also, I have... I, like... Like, he thinks it's Kat because she's about the same height and she kisses him, but doesn't say anything. I don't know. It's really it probably it's didn't look at her very well. <laughs> well, she was, like, backlit, so, like, her face is all in shadow. And then she, like, steps into the light and he sees her and screams. Is she Does she, like, doesn't have a face or something, right? Yeah, like, her face was, like, all... Or messed up or something. Messed up, I think is what he tells Sam later. Um, but the boys arrive on scene, and we get... We get a classic... We get, this is the dumbest, best line ever. I think it's Sam who says this place is orbing like crazy. Which... Whatever that means. Which, okay. Actually, I guess so, ghosts can manifest in orbs, so right? So, Chris and Jeremy joke about this line all the time in Monster of the Week. Um... As someone who has watched a few ghost shows, yes. mostly BuzzFeed Unsolved, too. but I've seen some bits and things of other ghost shows, orbing is when a spirit shows up on camera, but like as like a tiny orb. orb yeah. And I think I think it's actually just like dust particles usually, but probably. <laughs> um, Sam is holding the night vision camera and looking through it and you usually see what people call orbing on night vision cameras mm, yeah. so sam is seeing these orbs of the ghosts on the camera he's not just saying this place is orbing like crazy like like it, there's a reason he's saying it but it is a it's little funny, it's though. a weird line <laughs> and it's not really explained <laughs> No, it's not explained at all in the context of this show, anyways. Yeah. I think I mentioned in our Bloody Mary episode that I didn't think they ever used the night vision camera again, but I was wrong, because they use it here. Um, that's what Sam has in his hand. He's using the night vision camera that they used in Bloody Mary. Um, it's a very 2005 night vision camera. <laughs> it's a camcorder. Um, we see one of the other ghosts. The boys don't see it, but it's like one of the patients dressed in a straight jacket with a head wound. He's doing that, like, spazzy head thing that I usually associate with, like, demon possession. But yeah, I've never heard of a ghost actually doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and Sam stumbles upon the ghost of, like, an older woman with a head wound. Um, and she, like, is approaching Sam when Dean shoots it, shoots her. But Sam is like, she wasn't trying to attack me. 
Like she, she did was call just, for Dean to help him though. Well, because I think he was startled. <laughs> um, but he realizes after Dean's already shot her that like I don't think she was actually trying to attack me. Like she didn't seem like she was trying to harm me. It felt like she was trying to like get my attention in some way, kind of. Um, this is where they find Cat. And Dean Dean tells her not to be scared. Dean, you are holding a gun that you just fired. She has every reason to be scared. Yeah. She's seen ghosts. Um, and she's very freaked out. She's hiding behind the same table that those kids were hiding behind earlier. Oh, is she? I'm pretty sure. Huh. I didn't... But she's not, like... Oh. I just didn't look like it to me. I wasn't paying attention during that scene. <laughs> um, Dean tells Sam to take Kat out uh, of the asylum, but Kat refuses to leave without Gavin, so instead they split up. Sam goes off on his own. Bad idea, but it works out, I guess. And Kat goes with Dean, who tells he asks if she watches horror movies. She says, yeah, and he says, give me a favor. Next time you watch a horror movie, pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And this is, Sam finds Gavin passed out on the floor, and apparently he he ran from the ghost that kissed him. Um, He is very stuck on the fact that this ghost kissed him, which, like, is totally valid. Dean is skipping over that fact. Dean's like, or not... Sorry, Sam, yeah. Sam is skipping over that fact. He's like, like are you oh, hurt? the ghost wasn't actually trying to hurt you. And Gavin's like, she kissed me. Like, I'm scarred for life. <laughs> yeah, which valid. Fair. Um, and the ghost tried to tell Gavin something, but he ran instead of listening. And then he, like, fell and knocked his head. Apparently. Um, which, also valid. <laughs> like, I mean, I would have run for my life, too. I don't want to listen to anything a ghost has to say. Um... I don't want to make out with a ghost. Also that. How does that even work? I don't know. Ghosts can kind of, like, make themselves, like, solid-ish, I think. In supernatural lore, apparently. Yeah. Um. Back with Dean and Cat. Dean's flashlight goes out. Which is gonna be, like, a reoccurring, uh... Thing. Does the cop's flashlight go out at the beginning of the episode? Yeah, it flutters. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of a reoccurring. This is like our sign that our big part bad of the ghost is big coming. Bad ghost is coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Dean pulls out his lighter in time for something grabs Cat's arm and yanks her into a room, which is a super creepy little moment because yeah. you just see a hand on her arm but it's not attached to anything like you can't see anything else and then she's just yanked into this room and the door slams. I do like that she's like. Will you loosen your grip on me? Like, bitch, who do you think that is? <laughs> Dean is facing away from you. I, like, she's three feet facing in front away, of you. Well, he's not three feet in front of her, but she's facing away from him. Oh. Like, she's kind of turned to the side, and he has his back to her, but because she she's not looking at him, I think she's kind of looking behind them, so he doesn't know, she doesn't know that he isn't turned around to face her. I don't think, but, yeah. Anyway, um, I thought he would, she would could see that he was I don't think so but it is a kind of weirdly blocked moment but the the ghost grabbing her and yanking her into a room is fucking scary uh and Dean tries to break down this door and like pry it open while Kat is she encounters the ghost of another patient um 
God, the special effects makeup in this show is phenomenal. Because this dude looks so scary. <laughs> he looks terrifying. Um, and this is when Sam and Gavin arrive, and Sam tells Kat that she has to calm down. Which, I love it. Because Sam's like, you Kat, me. you need to calm down. And Dean's like, what? And then inside the room, Kat's like, I need to what? <laughs> like, which is yes uh she needs to calm down and like face the ghost because it's trying to communicate oh, yeah she's like you face the ghost <laughs> yeah she's like fuck no um but she manages to do it which like fucking hell girl like i could never oh my god um but she manages to like calm down and, like look at the ghost as it leans in and it gets really quiet and the boys like can't hear anything and then the door just unlocks and opens and cat is like like, she's probably got PTSD, but she's unharmed, and says that the ghost told her 137, which they rightly assume is a room number. Um, and then Dean tells Sam to take Gavin and Kat out of the asylum, while Dean goes and looks for one, room 137. Cat uh, asks how they ended up doing this stuff, and Sam says it's kind of their job. And then she asks if Dean is Sam's boss. And Sam's like, no, not exactly. <laughs> um, but Dean finds 137 and it's Sanford's old office. It's all like torn apart and, you know, like someone's kind of ransacked it. Probably the patients during the riot. Yeah. I would imagine. Um, the, and while he's like searching around Ellicott's office... Sam has, like, found the exit. I don't think these are the doors that they went in earlier. No. But he's found some exterior, some, like, exit doors, but they won't open. Um, and he... I don't know how it doesn't just, like... Are you sure they won't open, or are they just locked? <laughs> but they assume... He says they won't open. They assume that something <laughs> doesn't want them to leave, and Sam they says... They can't just break open a window? Because they're barred. All of them are? Well, it's an asylum. Uh-huh. <laughs> they don't want people to Based break on my research, they made it windows. sound like they were all nice and open. And... Well, the early ones, but the, <laughs> the later ones, not so much. They're kind of like glorified prisons. I've never been to an A asylum. Bit. At least in the movies, they are. They're not very happy-looking places. Um, but... Uh, they they assume something doesn't want them to leave, and then Sam has a very ominous, uh, it's not the patience, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, because Sam has figured out that the patients aren't the threat here, the patients are the warning. Um, Dean finds a hidden, like, door in the wall with a leather, leather satchel that has a bunch of notes, like a big stack of notes from experiments that Ellicott was doing on his patients. Which, like, fucking hell, dude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this is when... Kind of makes it seem like Ellicott was not really all there, either. I feel like he probably wasn't. Um, seems like he was a little bit of a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam gets a panicked phone call from what he thinks is Dean, saying that he's in the basement, which... I made a note, is not where Ellicott's office is. <laughs> he gives... Gavin doesn't know how to shoot, but Cat's gone hunting before, so he gives Cat the gun. 
<laughs> which is solid, solid reasoning there. Good job. Uh, and goes to find his brother. Um, and he... <laughs> the sequence is creepy, but also, like... So, Sam goes down to the basement, and, like, his flashlight turns off, which, like, ominous. And then a creepy door, like, creaks open on its own. And then Sam goes into it? Sam! <laughs> this is your job! You should know better! Like, no! <laughs> like, I know you're looking for Dean, but good lord! Uh, and he gets ambushed by Ellicott, who, like, grabs his face. And I actually really like this effect. I don't always love the season one special effects, but this, like, lightning effect that they do. Yeah. There's there's a moment where you get a really good look at it when he Ellicott's doing it to Dean later, where there's actually, like, even, like, a... a line of electricity in Dean's mouth. It's yeah, yeah, weird. I noticed it's that really, too. It's really cool. Uh, I find it very effective. Um, I'm not sure why they picked electricity specific. I guess because, like, electroshock, electroshock therapy. therapy and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, That's what I assumed. But yeah, Sam gets ambushed by the ghost of uh, uh, Dr. Ellicott, who, like, grabs his face and does this electricity thing, and then we cut back to Gavin and Kat. Um... <laughs> And Dean, like, comes around the corner just, like, clunking his way along. And, like, they see his shadow and then Cat shoots at him. <laughs> Which, like, that was a pretty solid shot. Like, if he, like, she was just a little bit off and if he hadn't moved, she would have nailed him in the face with rock salt. Yeah, I was gonna say that's not an actual shotgun, right? It's the rock salt. Well, it's, a, it's an actual shotgun, but the bullets aren't shotgun shells. Well, yeah, they're shotgun shells, but instead of being filled with, like, bird or deer shot, like... Um, they would be. Um, they're filled with rock salt. Which the supernatural, like, lore of the show says was in- that's a, a process, like a a tool that was invented by John Winchester. Like, it was his idea to first put rock salt in shotgun shells. Um, I think it was Bobby Singer's idea, and John Winchester took the credit for it. <laughs> Sounds about right. But it's supposedly that it was John's invention uh, to put rock salt in shotgun shells. Um, But yeah, Kat's a very good shot, and Dean is lucky that he has such good reflexes, because he would have had a face full of rock salt. He gets a chest full of rock salt later. But, ow. Yeah, that would hurt. That sounds extremely painful. Um, they tell Dean about the phone call Sam got, and he's like, I wasn't in the fucking basement. <laughs> so he goes down to the basement himself to investigate, and he finds Sam, and Sam's, like, acting very calm. Uh, and he says that, he, like, he figured out that it wasn't Dean that called him down, but he hasn't seen Ellicott. And Dean tells, this is where Dean tells Sam about the rage therapy that Ellicott was working on. Um, I actually made a note. So, Dr. Ellicott's backstory as the ghost of an asylum psychiatrist who tortured his patients uh, and then is killed during, like, a riot is similar, is, like, I I think, we think was inspired by um, the 1999 film House on Haunted Hill um, because there's a Dr. Vanicut who, like, haunts this, this abandoned sil- asylum in that film, who is kind of has the same storyline. 
I've never seen um, that film, but... Neither have I. I found that in the wiki. Um, but Ellicott was... His theory was that if he could get his patients to, ex- like, ex- if I remember correctly, like, express their rage more fully, that it would, like, help them get over it. Get over it's the wrong words, but... Process it? or Yeah. And, like, rage therapy is a thing. Like, I want to go to a rage room so bad. But it's not, like, fucking with someone's brain until right. they lose their mind. Um, so, like, I think he he had the right idea in that, like, releasing that rage can be helpful in, like, uh, like healing. But you have to be able to direct it somewhere, yeah, <laughs> in a safe way. You shouldn't be just messing with someone's mind to make them release that rage. You should be giving them a safe space in which they feel like they can, right? You know, without like harming anybody or themselves. Yeah. Um. Dean wants to go looking for the like the room that Ellicott was doing this secret rage therapy stuff in. And as he walks off, we get this baby dramatic zoom on Sam's face. It's not a true dramatic zoom, so I call it a baby dramatic zoom. But we do get a little zoom in. (laughs) Um, Dean goes into one of the rooms. uh, And he... he, This is actually... Dean's really smart. I mean, the the air is really loud, but Dean's pretty smart. He hears air moving. And, like, like a... uh, um, draft that's the word i'm looking for you know and then like a room is a little bit drafty because there's like a like a break in the seal of a window or something yeah he he uh notices that and that's how he finds the hidden door which is really smart um and this is where we get we get more of the bloody nose that walter had in the cold open which is our sign that sam Sam thought himself at the moment yep as sam pulls his shotgun um and Dean's like, that gun's full of rock salt. Uh, it's not gonna kill me. And Sam's like, no, but it'll hurt. And then shoots him in the chest with rock salt and, like, blasts him through this door. Which, oh my, that, that definitely had to hurt. Oh, yeah. It had to hurt. Because, like, not only did you just get, like, like, yeah, you weren't shot with, like, metal, you know? But, like, that definitely broke skin. And salt stings like a motherfucker. <laughs> Like, oh boy. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> um, but this is when Sam gets his turn for an angry speech. <laughs> uh, Dean got his angry speech as a shifter in skin, and now it's Sam's turn. I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this is in skin, but this is kind of a trope the show does a lot, where one of the boys will be, like, possessed or under the influence of something. And they'll, um... Release all their anger yeah, towards the other yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> they'll get an angry rant. Uh, something something relevant to that episode that they're, like, pent up about. Yeah. Um, Sam talks about... Sam's frustrated, um, that Dean is just being, uh, the good little soldier. Yeah. You know? And he, he'll get in, he'll get deeper into this and in Scarecrow. Yeah. But yeah, Sam is frustrated that Dean is just following orders, and but Sam wants to go find John and he's um 
he calls he he says that's the difference between you and me i have a mind of my own i'm not pathetic like you and then dean's dean's the one i actually brings up like what are you gonna do are you gonna kill me uh which is interesting that dean's the one who brings that up and not sam uh and then dean gives sam his pistol and says real bullets are gonna work a hell of a lot better than rock salt and this is where sam pulls the trigger but it's the gun's empty um I think we should probably dig into this a little bit. I've made a note to dig into this stuff. My brain doesn't have really anything too deep to go into it. Because it's pretty service level. I don't think Sam is as angry about this. Well, no. I think he, he is as angry about this as he sounds. But I don't think he's kill Dean angry. No. Because, like, Walter at the beginning of this episode, like, he was probably kind of pissed with his wife about whatever it is that he, she did that Olcott upset seems him. to amplify whatever anger yeah, that they already yeah. have. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think cause like Gunderson the, the older cop says like yeah they had their disagreements but there was nothing going on that was worth that we were talking about given like adopting him a reason, and stuff. And... Yeah, that would have given him a reason to kill his wife like, right. they, like there was nothing going on that is like as far as this cop knows that would have made Walter angry enough for that. So yeah, it definitely feels like whatever Ellicott does to people takes some rage that they are already feeling about something and just amplifies it to a level that they would never get to on their own. Which doesn't really sound like, like therapy to me. <laughs> no, no. Because like we know in Scarecrow that yes, Sam is feeling this. He's very angry about this. He's very upset and frustrated about this. But his solution isn't murder my brother his solution is i'm gonna go do my own thing because that's i'm gonna go do if you're not gonna come with me i'm gonna go do this on my own you know because that's more how sam works yeah well i think this show's kind of trying to show like this isn't actually them they're being influenced by yeah yeah the ghost you know uh i do think dean kind of wonders how much of that was really sam yeah i think the words sam says are his but I'm not sure the action, it, especially the pointing a pistol at his brother's head and pulling the trigger, is Sam. That that That's Ellicott's influence. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, this is when Dean disarms Sam and punches him a few times and knocks him out. Because this is back when Sam needed a few punches to be knocked out. <laughs> uh, and then he goes searching for Ellicott's body... And finds it in a cabinet, and he's, like, getting ready to burn it. He salts it and pours lighter fluid on it. And that's when he gets attacked by Ellicott. But Dean's a badass, and he grabs his lighter and throws it on the corpse. And this is actually uh, the first time in the show so far that salting and burning uh, the bones um, has actually gotten rid of the ghost. Because we've seen a couple different ghosts. Uh, I was confused, um... Why did the ghost body disintegrate like that? I thought ghosts were, like, see-through. We know nothing really there. This is, like, the demon thing in Phantom Traveler. It'll change. It's not how it goes. I was like, why did he disintegrate like a vampire zombie? Yeah, it's weird. I I don't know. It's it's an interesting choice. That, That is not what will happen in later seasons. But, like, our first ghost of this season was... Or the first ghost of the show is Constance... And the boys couldn't find her body to burn it. They had to, like, burn it to her house. 
to make her face, you know. And then the next ghost I think we face is uh, the boy in the lake. Yeah. And they have to satisfy his revenge. And then we have um, Bloody Mary. And they have to, like, make her face her own. They Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> oh, bloody, bloody Mary. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the hook man. They have to, like, melt the hook thing. Oh, yeah. So none of those at just burning the bones work. Or, like, they, in some of them there weren't even bones to burn. Right. Like, I don't yeah. think, like, with the, um, with the, uh, like, the boy in the lake. Like, they didn't have his body. Um, so this is actually the first instance of them actually, like, successfully salting and burning the body. (laughs) (laughs) It finally actually works. (laughs) Um, and then, this is when Sam wakes up. He slept through all the fun. Uh, we cut to the next morning, and the boy's saying, uh, goodbye to Gavin and Kat. I think Kat says, told Gavin when they were alone by themselves waiting for, like, Sam and Dean to come back, that, like, when they got out of this... Oh, uh, they're breaking up. Yeah. gonna break up with them. But I don't think they broke up. Uh, scary experiences either... They do one of two things. They either drive... Like, traumatic experiences either drive people apart or bring them closer together. Um, in my experience, at least. Like, it's not, like, a perfect science. It's not 50-50 or anything. But yeah. I feel like this may have been an instance where they went through this scary thing together and they are kind of a little better bonded than they uh, would have been otherwise, even though... I don't know, I would dump his ass for leaving I would have dumped his ass, too, (laughs) but, you know. Um, Sam apologizes to Dean and says that he couldn't control himself, but he didn't mean what he said. Uh, Dean doesn't want to talk about it any further. Dean, you can't just, like, shove things down. I saw this TikTok... (laughs) I don't know if I sent it to you or not, but it was like a, or it might have been on Twitter. I don't know. It was a physical representation of me trying to shove down my feelings, and it's like a tall, like see-through, double-walled plastic, like reusable cup, you know. And inside is iced coffee, and like the the iced coffee. So the cup's like, like a standard. What's this? How many ounces is the largest Starbucks size? Like 24 ounces? I don't even know. <laughs> I think it's about that size. And like a little below the halfway line is like the top of the coffee. And just above that are two stuck together ice cubes that are like just wide enough to like when the the coffee was full they were, like, they would float on top and, like, float freely, but now they're, like, stuck on the walls. <laughs> like, they're too wide to go down. And the person takes the straw and, like, pushes it down. And they're, like, it's like, push, push. And they're, like, stabbing the ice cubes trying to push them down into the ice coffee. And it was captioned, like, a physical representation of me trying to shove down my emotions to not deal with them. That's Dean. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's really cute because they're just like stabbing these ice cubes with their plastic straw. Oh my god. It cracked me up. <laughs> That's Dean. He doesn't want to talk about it. He, he should never talks wants to about talk it. about it. He needs some goddamn therapy. They should have sent Dean in to talk to the therapist, but yeah. no. They sent Bam. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Bam. They sent Sam. Uh, 
And we cut to, like, night, the boy's sleeping. I don't know if this is the first instance we see the purple dog shirt, but it's the first time I noticed it. <laughs> I love the purple dog shirt. Um, but they get woken by one of their phones ringing. Sam answers it, because Dean is dead to the world <laughs> mood. Uh, and it's John. So, and this is where the episode ends. Cliffhanger. Um, which is a great cliffhanger. Oh! I forgot I have... <laughs> I will have to include these links in the uh, show notes. Um, there is actually a fun little behind-the-scenes story for Asylum involving Tom Welling, oh. who most people know as uh, Clark Kent in Smallville. Um, Jensen played a character named Jason Teague in Smallville. I think he was only on for one season. Um, I think season four, but I'm not sure. Um, but Smallville filmed, like, basically right next door to Supernatural. And so, uh, one of the days, um, like, Tom Welling, like, went over and hung out on the set with them. And I've seen two different stories. There's one that Tom Welling told where he hid in the backseat of the Impala. I don't know if it was the same. I don't know if it was when they were filming Asylum, but he hid in the backseat of the Impala and scared the shit out of the boys, which is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's another one that Jared told at a convention. I swear to God, there's another instance of this retell of this like story being told. And if anyone else has heard this story, I will include the link to the the version uh, that Jared told that I found in the show notes obviously but if anyone else has heard like another con convention telling of this story I'd, and like has a video to it I would love to hear it but they went over to <laughs> the Smallville set like on a break and brought Tom Welling back and so like they get out of the car and like okay there's Jared there's Jensen and is that Clark Kent <laughs> like, <laughs> so and then I think uh, in Tom's story I'm pretty sure I think they were both Asylum. I'm not entirely sure. Because uh, the, the story that I distinctly remember is that Tom Welling kind of has an uncredited cameo in that episode because during one of the scenes where they're, like, pulling up to the Asylum in the Impala, Tom Welling is in the back seat, like, ducked down where you can't see him. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That sounds funny. <laughs> they give him a credit. No. Because for... no. <laughs> you can't see him. But yeah, that's that's the story I distinctly remember hearing, but I don't remember what convention that was at. <laughs> so if anyone has, like, a video of that or knows what convention it is was. Is that what your link is for? Uh, yeah, I have the YouTube link for um, a Jared and Misha panel where Jared tells the story. And then I also have a link to the Super Wiki uh, for Tom's story. Uh, the one where he scared the shit out of the boys, which is so great. But yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you want to talk about for this episode, my love? You've already closed the notes, so I'm guessing no. <laughs> <laughs> that was all my notes. <laughs> that was all your notes. Let's move on to Scarecrow. Episode 
is definitely one of my favorites, I think. Yeah? There are 327 episodes in this show, and I put this one in, in at least my top, like, 20. If not my top 10. One of these days I'm gonna rank them all. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a really good episode. And it picks up, like, not even just, like, story-wise, but, like, like like character arc wise it picks up beautifully right where asylum left off mm-hmm. and it literally picks up where asylum left off um does it i wasn't paying attention does it give us a different like year or date for the the cold open yes a year ago it is said. it a year ago yeah. yeah okay so our cold open is burkittsville indiana which is not a real place uh fun just by the way <laughs> they start using more real places as the show goes on but this they, one makes sense that it's not a real they place <laughs> often yeah this one definitely makes sense that it's not a real place um we open up it's like late in the evening um this couple is leaving this like gas station mechanic shop after they apparently got lost um they're given directions back to the interstate but as the and like food for the road and stuff uh seems like these people were really nice but as they head out uh their See, this car... is why i don't trust nice people sometimes <laughs> <laughs> their car dies beside an ar- an apple orchard um i did notice this apple orchard there's like strategically placed like uh like crates and like buckets or like like woven baskets with a few apples and like like they do like tours of this orchard and they make it I don't know it, it is an interesting choice um but I think they see like a light out in the orchard like on the other side I was wondering why they're going in the orchard yeah I think they see a light town. and they decide to try and live like a well it's probably like a house or something or a business or like there's a light so there's got to be people yeah. Of some kind, you know? It's... Uh, of some <coughs> kind. Like, what? No. <laughs> like, there's... There's civilization. <laughs> um, of some kind. That's kind of more what I meant. <laughs> so I start walking towards it to see if they can get help, which is a bad idea. Not to go towards the light, but the fact that they're, like, going through this <laughs> Go orchard. towards the light. <laughs> um, uh, and they stumble across the creepiest scarecrow ever. <laughs> yeah. This thing is... This is so creepy. A masterpiece of costuming and special effects makeup. This thing is so fucking scary. It's so scary. I love it. I don't like horror movies, but I love this fucking scarecrow, and I love how creepy it is. It's so good. Uh, and I also wrote, spoiler alert, the scarecrow is alive. <laughs> Only sometimes. Yes. It's alive and it wants to be, which, like, mood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this couple is chased by something they can't see. Spoiler alert to that. It's the scarecrow. Uh, and they get separated and then basically, like, ten seconds later, the girl stumbles across her boyfriend's dead body. And I do not know how I never noticed this in every rewatch of this episode. His face is gone. How did you not notice that? I don't know. It zooms into his face and she screams. It's like, yeah, I don't know how in, like, the... That's really uh, disturbing. It is by far, I think, one of the most gruesome things Supernatural has ever done. Yeah. Like... Really? Yeah. It's... Oh my god. It's fucking wild. I don't know how I never noticed that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the end of our cold open. We get our splash screen. And we pick up 
Uh, right where the boys left off in the previous episode, Sam in his purple dog shirt answering a phone call from John. Um, and Sam gets right into it, like, <laughs> with John. <laughs> he gets into it real quick. Because uh, John won't tell Sam where he is. He wants Sam to just trust him. Uh, he's closing in on the thing that killed Mary, and the boys can't be a part of it, and he needs them to stop looking for him. Yeah, they actu- he actually mentions for the first time what kills that Mary. it's a demon. He says it's a demon. Yeah. First time we know what it is. Yes. This is the, the first confirmation that the thing that killed their mom was a demon. Um, and de- John is very paranoid. He says demons could be listening in all fairness, I think they probably were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Sam, though, is... And he'll get deeper into this with Dean later. Sam is very frustrated at being left out of this hunt. Which is a big shift from pre-season Sam. Uh, like, pre- pre-pilot Sam. Because before, he didn't have a stake in the hunt. Like, yeah, he knew that his mom was killed, but he didn't have a personal reason. Like, because he never, he never knew her. Yeah. He doesn't have any memories of her. He doesn't have any emotional connection to her besides the fact that, like, she's his mom, but it's more of like a, I don't even have a mom, you know? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't have what Dean had. Dean has vague memories of his mother and a happy family. Yeah. Um, but Sam doesn't have that. And so Sam never had this personal, like, stake in the hunt, but now he does, and he wants to be included, (laughs) and he's very mad that he's not being included. Um, Dean has pulled on a shirt, uh, and he snatches the phone out of Sam's hand, and this- Jensen is so good. Because you can visibly- did you catch this? The shift Mm -hmm. from, like, worried big brother to, yes sir, yes sir, I've got a- notepad right here uh you know uh-huh. as soon as he hears john's voice he is a soldier like he he like he even like his posture changes his his tone changes it's it's really good it's yeah excellent acting jensen's very good at his job um but he writes down some names that john gives him uh and we cut to like the boys driving uh i think kind of like I think it's at night. I think it's probably like early, early morning, pre-sunrise. Yeah. Um, and Dean has found out that Sam's driving, actually, which doesn't happen very often. I think this is the second time we've seen him drive. But yeah. The first time we didn't even really see it. He just got handed the keys and drove, you know? <laughs> uh, but Dean has found out that all of these, the names that John gave him are couples who went missing in the second week of April, all in the same area, and it is now, like, the second week of April. Um, and Sam, uh, this is where Sam kind of loses it a little bit. Pulls the car over. He figured out that John called from a Sacramento, a payphone in the Sacramento area, uh, and the boys kind of get into it, because Dean is like, well, Dad gave us a job. We've got to go do the job. And Sam is like, no. But he found the thing. Dad's <laughs> this close to finding the thing that killed Mom, that killed Jess. Yeah. And you just want to sit back and do nothing? Like, and he, Sam, reasonably, I can completely see why he thinks this way. He thinks Dean doesn't understand. 
what Sam is feeling because he even says he's like you were four when mom died Jess died six months ago like there is a huge difference from my mother died 22 years ago and my girlfriend died six months ago and like trauma like grief never really heals completely no matter how many years it's been yeah but there is a definite like you know, it's less of a... For Sam, it's an open wound. It's less fresh, and I guess. And for Dean, it's an old scar, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a much different pain that they're both feeling. Dean's had 22 years to process Well, you'd be in a different stage of your loss. grieving process, yeah. too, so... Dean is Sam's in... Sam's still actively going through the grieving process. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and Sam wants his revenge. That's why he came back to hunting after that first hunt. Is, was to get his revenge. And now, John is this close to finding the thing, and Sam wants in on it. Sam wants his opportunity. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I think Sam kind of loses that revenge drive a little bit as he heals. Yeah. As he processes the grief and processes his own emotions and also finds out more about the thing that killed his mother and why and stuff. Um, but in this moment, Sam is feeling very raw still, uh, and also very frustrated and kind of disrespected by his brother, which is something he'll mention, kind of bring up a little later, is Dean is the good soldier. He never questions John. He always follows orders. Uh, this is that hero worship that I think I've mentioned a couple times. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and meanwhile, Sam is like... I'm not just gonna blindly follow the man just because he's happened to, you know, father me. Like, that's... Yeah. No. Like, I think <laughs> Dean's, like... I don't know, he's more in the mindset of, like, almost still, like, a child. Like, dad says to do something, I gotta do it. Whereas Sam's like, dude, we're adults, we don't have to do what dad tells us all the time. Yeah. Maybe dad's not always right, you know? Yes. I think he even says that. Maybe dad's not always right. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely two very different mindsets towards their father, and this is kind of something that, like, gets bring up, brought up a bit more, you know, a few more times over the years, but it's very fresh in these, this early season. The boys have very different perspectives of the way they grew up. I mean, and of their father. And Dean hasn't really left the roost at all. He hasn't kind of no. experienced life as an adult on his own, whereas Sam has, you know? So they've uh -huh. got very different perspectives. Like, the person that still lives at home and the person that's moved out, you yep. know? Yep. Very different. Like, as very. someone, as an adult who's also gone through that, you have different mindsets once you've moved yes. out from your parents. <laughs> yes. That, well, and I think Sam has always had a different mindset from True. John, and that is, that is partially because he doesn't have, he never had a personal stake in this mission. Yeah. You know? And, like, we've already seen once it's in this season. It's always amplified when you're the, kind of the black sheep in the family, too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, but, like, what we've already seen in this season is, like, Sam talks about Mary in the pilot episode, and Dean's like, don't talk about her. You know, and spoilers for an episode in season three, there is a flashback to a younger Sam and Dean where um, Sam kind of asks about Mary, and Dean's like, don't talk about mom. We don't talk about mom. You know? Yeah. And it gives you this idea that Sam, not only does Sam not remember his mom because he was a baby, 
but he they doesn't, never talked about her. <laughs> he doesn't have any personal connection to this woman. He feels like he should, but he doesn't because she's always kind of been this perfect angelic figurehead in their family right. that they look up, you know. Well, that, I think, I think he, John... And he doesn't know who she was as a person. John kind of refused to talk much about her, too, mm-hmm. I think, and that kind of rubs I, off I kind of them. imagine that John maybe talked about her when he was a little drunk or something, you know? Yeah. But even then, there's a lot in... The, over the course, course of the show um, that gives me the feeling that um, once John died, or once Mary died, she was the perfect mom. You know? Right. People kind of tend they to do were that. In, she, was a, she was a human woman. You know? Yeah. She was imperfect, well, people but people tend when to do that gone, like, when they yeah. lose a loved one, they kind of almost glorify them a bit. Yeah. And John def I think John definitely did that. Yeah. And it really affected the boys and their perspective of their mother. You know, Dean in remembering his mom as this perfect mother, and Sam in being like, oh, she was like a perfect angel, but I don't. He doesn't know who she was as a person. He doesn't know anything about her, really. Yeah. You know? And I think scenes like, moments like these in the show really amplify that. That Sam doesn't, he he feels disconnected from his family. And I think it is a result of him not really having a personal stake in their mission. <laughs> and him being the 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 freak, the black sheep of the family. The fandom talks about Dean being queer-coded, but they talk about it in terms of, like, oh, he got what they want to purple see and more. blue and <laughs> pink lights. That's the bi-colors, like, in the background. Forgetting the fact that those are, like, classic, like, bar-light colors. It's not any, yeah. you know? Whereas Sam is queer-coded in the actual the, the definition of the term. Yeah. His storyline is something that a lot of queer youth, uh, who especially those who grew up in kind of more conservative families like we did, can find very relatable, feeling like there's something wrong with you because you're not like your family. Yeah. You're the, the freak. You're the weirdo. You know, and you try to fit in. And then you go, you, you find a way to go off and be on your own, whether because you want to. Or because uh, you are forced to, or a little of both. Because Sam Your even Sam literally had that experience where he was like, "I'm gonna go do my own thing." Um, and John said, "Well, you can go do that, but don't come back." And literally, like, not like kind of disowned him, you know, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of queer youth can also relate to. Is the family being like, well, go do your own thing, but I don't ever want to see your face around here again, you know? Yeah. And that, that's, it's, that, yeah. (laughs) I didn't expect to get into this today, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm in a mood. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Sam, Sam decides to go his own way again. He gets his stuff out of the trunk. Uh, and Dean's like, I'm going to fucking leave you here. And Sam's like, that's kind of what I want you to do, you (laughs) Why do you think I got my bag out of the trunk, you idiot? <laughs> like, Dean. <laughs> oh. Yeah, this is where the boys separate for the first time in the show. Yeah. 
it's always I love the boys together, but it's always really interesting to see what happens when they are separate, and not just even not even just like in a like in the last episode where it's like Dean's gonna go do this and Sam's gonna go do this, but they're still working the same case as a team. This is like a they are they've broken up. The boys broke they up. They broke up. <laughs> they broke up. It's sad. I hate when they fight. <laughs> There's a. I don't know what convention. I have all these convention stories in my brain, because I I watch them, and then I remember them, but I don't remember what the convention is. <laughs> And, but there's one where Jensen told a story of the they were filming a scene where Sam and Dean have an argument and they like called cut and one of the cameramen went I hate when they fight <laughs> I have a distinct memory of that if any of you guys know what panel or convention that was feel free to let me know <laughs> But did you have something you wanted to say before I rambled on a little bit? Uh, <laughs> or did you lose it already? I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> I get going. You kind of seem like you had something to say, oh. but if you think of it. <laughs> um. Okay. So now we have two different kind of timelines going on um, that we're going to be jumping back and forth between. Um, Dean goes to Burkittsville. Um, and as he, like, gets there, he, like, pulls out his phone, and we get a dramatic, like, scrolling down through the contacts to Sam's name. That phone is a flashback. Yeah, it is. To our childhood. It's from 2005. The technology in this show (laughs) dates it hardcore. Um, but Dean doesn't call Sam. Uh, instead, he, uh, he goes, he approaches the man, like, sitting outside a cafe, uh, this turns out to be Scotty. He's, like, the owner of the cafe. His name's on the sign. Dean asks if he's seen this missing couple. And Scotty's a douche. Scotty's a dick. <laughs> uh, also, he knows his, he knows his rock and roll, because uh, he calls Dean out on his rock alias. I don't remember. He's the lead singer of Led Zeppelin or something like that? I don't uh, remember. I don't remember who it is. I'm a bad fan. <laughs> Some classic rock band. I, I think it's Led Zeppelin, but I'm not 100% the sure. drummer or something, right? Might be. Because Robert Plant, or, um... This is... Nope. Let me... Close. Close. Scarecrow. Here we go. Um... John Bonham? Is it John Bonham? I think it is. I think it was John something, so that sounds right. I think it's Bonham. Yeah, is he... Is he the drummer? He was the drummer for Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Robert Plant is the one I always remember. Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. I think... I don't remember which of them... <laughs> I'm so bad. I don't remember which of them is the, um... The, like, lead guitarist and which one's the lead singer, but... Yeah. So, Dean gets called out for his Rocky alias... Um, and he asks if Scotty has seen this, this, the missing couple, the one from the cold open, and Scotty says no. Uh, we cut to Sam on the side of the road, and he discovers Meg, and I, this is another thing I've never noticed, that she just kind of appeared. I said that too, I'm like, I never noticed how she just appeared right there. She just shows up. And I think Sam kind of brushes it off as, like, he assumes he wasn't really paying attention. 
which I thought I just wasn't ever paying attention. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Um, but it's a if you are paying attention, it is an immediate clue that something is a little bit off, off with, with her because she just kind of shows up. <laughs> yep. Uh, the song on her iPad is "Puppet" by Colpits. I think is how you pronounce that that name. Um, which I don't know the song, but the name of the song. Coal pits. Um, and knowing, like, kind of Sam's storyline as we go on, it feels kind of fitting. Um, I've never heard of that band. <laughs> neither have I. Um, Sam, like, offers, he's like, do you need help? And Meg's like, no, I'm fine. Uh, and he kind of tries to get to know Meg. Who's <laughs> like, uh, like, you could be a creeper or something. And then a van pulls up and offers <laughs> Meg a ride. Uh, and Sam's like, she's like, He's like, you need a ride? And they're both like, yeah. And he's like, only her. And I was like, serial killer. <laughs> and then, then Sam's Meg like... gets in and Sam's like, you trust Shady Van Guy over me? And she's like, duh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that van driver's definitely not gonna oh, he's last dead. long. He's, he's definitely <laughs> dead. Well, I think we both made the note that van driver is, he's dead. Yeah. Um... Not that you're supposed to know who Meg is yet, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I miss Meg. She's great. She's fantastic. Um, so, back in Burkittsville, Dean... Back in Burkittsville. And, well, I guess that phrasing makes sense, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dean is asking some more people around town. He meets the, the old couple from the cold open and their niece, uh, who we'll find out is named Emily. Um, the couple say they don't recognize the couple... Or the missing people. <laughs> How many times can I say the word couple in five seconds? <laughs> um, but Emily does. She's like, oh, did he have a tattoo? She's like, oh, no, you remember them? Oh, uh, yeah, because in the cold open she mentioned that she liked the guy's tattoo. Yeah. Did you mention yeah. that earlier? I don't think I did. I think I may have missed that detail. It's a flashback, because she, she remembers them specifically because she liked the guy's tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they said they point them pointed them back towards the highway. They got they got a little lost. Um, is it on his way? Finally, yes. <laughs> Yay! Um, and point Dean in that same direction. And as Dean drives at um, I don't think it's nighttime. I think it's daytime. Um, the EMF detector starts going crazy outside the orchard. I don't yeah. know if pagan gods have anything to do with EMF, but in Supernatural they do. <laughs> At least in this episode. Uh, but it's like in his bag in the back seat. It just starts beeping like crazy. He's like, what the fuck? Uh, so Dean goes into the orchard and he finds the scarecrow. Uh, and said, and he hmm, what seems suspicious in this orchard? Maybe the creepy scarecrow. <laughs> he says, dude, you are fugly. <laughs> so funny. And he gets up on the ladder to get a closer look and discovers that this scarecrow has a patch of what looks like dried skin with the same tattoo as the missing guy, like, on his arm. Which is fucking creepy. Yeah. I so forgot that he detail. Takes parts of him and just sews himself together. I, I guess. Know. That's not really Whoa. mentioned much. No. It's creepy. Outside of that. <laughs> um, the suspense of this moment with Dean on the ladder and the scarecrow that we know is alive and, like, dangerous. The suspense of this moment is so good 
Oh my gosh, it kind of draws out just long enough to get your anxiety about up a little bit, you know, to just and then nothing to happens. Heighten that tension, <laughs> and then it doesn't release, and it's so good. Oh, I love it. Uh, Dean goes back to town, and I'm assuming I don't know anything. Okay, I know I know more about the Impala than I probably do about my own car, but so the Impala's gas cap is behind the license plate. Which I wouldn't have known that. I don't know how... Because I don't know classic cars. <laughs> I don't know how normal of a placement that is for a gas cap. Um, I've never seen any car except for that one. The Impala's the only one I've seen. Yeah. That that's has like that. that. Yeah. And I'm assuming it must have, like, a latch to open the cover to, like, pop the license plate down. Because when Dean gets out of the car, the license plate cover's already down and Emily's, like, getting down there to fill up the tank. Huh. You know? Yeah. Um... That's cool. My car has, a like, a little latch. I think yours does, too. I drive a 2012 Mazda. <laughs> it's definitely not an Impala, but it's still <laughs> my baby. Um, Haley drives a... a 99 Honda CRV. <laughs> it's gonna f- give up the ghost any day now. Um, Shh, it's still fine. <laughs> don't curse it. <laughs> you don't Knock curse on it. Wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> um, and I think we both have, like, a latch. So I'm assuming... The Impala has, like, a, a lever or something that you, like, pull and it pops the cover open. Because otherwise, like, um, how the freak does anyone, like, you know, I don't know how anyone would know. This is obviously one of those places where, like, the attendant fills up for you. Which it depends Which on the state. weird because what state are they in? Uh, Indiana. I don't think Indiana has those attended filled ones. I, th- I thought it was like Oregon and I know Oregon Washington does, yeah. or something. And, um, I think it's New Jersey, but I'm not 100% sure. I know Oregon's one of them. <laughs> don't, don't quote me on that one. I know for a fact Oregon is one of them, yes. Which is weird to me. Yeah, it's really interesting. It is weird that you don't pump your own gas in some states. I don't know. That's such a weird yeah, concept. I don't know if Indiana is that kind of state or if or that was just a service they or if provide. it's just Burkittsville. Yeah. Um, I know. I think some gas stations just are like that or used to be like that. Because I have... I think they all used to back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Haley and I are both... We're both raised LDS. And I remember there being a story of one of, like, the prophets... Uh, like traveling and he on a Sunday he had to travel on a Sunday for some reason and he stopped at a gas station and the kid was like filling up the tank and the prophet was like oh I'm sorry I have to work on Sunday and the kid was like I don't have to work on Sunday if people like you didn't tr- need, you know travel around and need gas <laughs> like oof I don't remember hearing that story <laughs> I don't know if it's a prophet or apostle or what but I have a distinct rem- memory of that story I don't know who it was it was my dad could probably Use tell you. this a story to guilt us into not working on yep. Sunday, probably. <laughs> yep. Um, so, Dean is asking Emily, who is by far the youngest person we've seen in this town, um, the niece of the, like, gas station mechanic owners. Yeah. Um, and she's, like, asking her about the town. She's like, it's a really nice place. Like, all the towns around us are, like, really struggling, but it feels like this town is kind of blessed. Um, and then Dean asks about the scarecrow in the orchard, and she says it's always been there, and it kind of freaks her out, I think. <laughs> Which, fair. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, we cut to Sam. He has made it to the bus stop. Did he walk? Did he find a, a ride? We'll never know. He made it to the bus stop, and he finds out that the next bus to Sacramento doesn't leave until tomorrow morning. Which, ooh, ow. And he's like, there has to be another way. And the lady says, yeah, buy a car. <laughs> She's savage. <laughs> this bus station lady is not kidding around. <laughs> The look on Sam's face when she says it too, so good. She has the, one of the best lines of the episode. In my <laughs> She's opinion. like, okay, geez, amazing. <laughs> um, and Dean or Sam is doing the exact same thing Dean was doing at the when he arrived at Birkinsville, where he like scrolled dramatically through his contacts to his brother's contact. And he's like considering calling Dean, and this is where Meg sh- uh, speaks, like shows up again. Uh, Dean's like, what happened to Shady Van Guy? He says she was, uh, too handsy. And she cut him loose. So she cut it. Yeah, he's dead. Yep. <laughs> he's dead. Um. In case that wasn't obvious enough. Yes, he's yeah. dead. Yeah. So Sam and Meg, like, introduce themselves to each other, finally. Uh, meanwhile, Dean is back. Dean's gone into the, the diner, uh, for what is one of the most painfully awkward scenes in all of television. It kills me. Uh, Dean struggled. Oh my god. <laughs> <clears throat> I feel like Dean, Dean is very good at his job, and normally he'd be pretty good at this, but I think he's kind of gotten used to having Sam there in the last six months. Plus I think he's a little thrown off his game because of what went down with Sam. Yeah, Sam, Dean is a little off his game, but I think he's kind of out of practice of just working on his own. Like, he's kind of gotten lax. Yeah. About it, and this this scene really demonstrates that because he literally the end of the scene is like, man, if my brother was here, he had these puppy eyes. He just, <laughs> just could make you do whatever he wanted. You know, it's funny because he's tr- trying to be helpful, but he's the one that's coming across as creepy. He's me and a creepy awkward dude. <sighs> Doesn't help that he's the only one in the diner, but, and he decides to sit like right next to them. But you know. Maybe we should explain what's happening. Yeah. Um, so there's this couple, this young couple, who stopped for gas. And, like, the old guy at the gas station said the brake line was leaking. Uh, and they'll be leaving by sundown. And they're feeding this, them this very extravagant they're, meal. Yeah, all on the house, apparently. Yeah. They're being too nice to them. Yeah. <laughs> Dean is like, sundown for a brake line? Like, I know a little about cars. I could probably, I could chat here in an hour. And the lady's like, we'll let the mechanic handle it. Like, Dean would not totally be a mechanic in another life. <laughs> this bitch keeps a 50-year-old car in, like, just rolled off the lot condition. Yeah. Like, he he's Immaculate good at what he does. Um, <coughs> Dean tries kind of harder. He, like, pushes harder. He's like, these roads are really dangerous at night. But they're kind of getting skeeved out by him. Which, As he would. Fair enough. Uh, and this is when Scotty has called the sheriff, who confronts Dean, uh, and runs him out of town. And I actually missed, I, like, looked away and looked back and missed it, and so I forgot that Dean actually, like, gets, like, chased out of town by the cop car, and so I yes, just saw, does. I just saw the cop car, like, drive <laughs> under the bridge and then turn around. I didn't see the Impala, so I was confused. <laughs> I also missed that it was the Impala coming back at night. I missed that. Um, there is a deleted scene here. <clears throat> it's not that special. No. Where the the sheriff uh, like 
uh, says he's been getting calls about Dean disturbing the peace. And Dean guesses that the sheriff wants him to leave town and asks, what if I don't want to go? And then you get, and it would cut to um, Dean being literally chased out of town. So we go back to the gas station, or the bus station. <laughs> I'm confused about this bus station. Because Sam and Meg are literally, like, like sitting at a table. And they've got, like, junk food that looks like they kind of got it from the vending machine. But they've also got beer. Uh, I kind of assumed they went out to dinner somewhere. But based off, like, the background, it looks like they're still in the gas, or the bus station. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't notice that. It looks like it's still the bus station. Does the wiki say any different? Let's find out. Um, oh, just this one just says they chat over a meal. What about the super wiki? Um, this one. Let's see what it has to say. I'd probably have to go to the transcript. The transcript says they're at the bus station. Um, but I was just, okay. I was like, where the fuck did they get beer? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the beer vending machines at every bus station? <laughs> I mean, it was 2005 and this is Indiana and we were in Utah where that would definitely not be a thing, but I was still confused. I guess they walked to another gas station or something. And got them. some beers, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that would make sense. Um, I scrolled down. Um, Meg is kind of like worming her way into like Sam relating to her. Yeah, she has a good job of acting sympathetic. Like, she Mm -hmm. knows what he's going through. Like, she's going through something similar, so he kind of has this trust in her. Yeah, he's like, oh, no, like, I I know what that feels like, too, because she talks about, like, her family wanting her to act and behave, you know, do, be a certain way, and her not wanting to do that, and going off on her own. And Sam, commiserate, can relate to that. Because that's kind of what his life was like, and this is very purposeful. Um, she's really Meg's so good. Meg is a great character. She's definitely like steals the scene every time she's on the screen. Yeah. <clears throat> wow, Nikki, my voice. The actress, <laughs> the actress Nikki, she is fabulous. She's Love her. A great character. Mm-hmm. Very entertaining. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, we get Dean coming back to town. Uh, we cut to the couple in the orchard being attacked by the scarecrow, and they get rescued by Dean. Uh, and then the next day, it's like the next morning, Dean finally calls Sam, and he kind of explains what's going on. And Dean has already figured out, based off of what Emily said about like the town being blessed, that the, the scarecrow is a pagan god, and the couples are a sacrifice. Wait, did, did we skip over the part where he saves their lives? I, I, did, I said that. You did? Yeah. You went over that really fast. Saved, I did go over it really fast. It's a very fast little scene. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess nothing significant happens, right? Other than no, he, he just he saves the couple. Yeah. yeah. Which is is significant in that there is now no sacrifice. Right. For the pagan god. Um, he, like, shoots at it, but, like, goes right through him. Doesn't really do anything. Yeah, I think he's using, I don't know if he's using iron or rock salt, but whatever he's shooting, it doesn't work. 
But yeah, Dean has figured out it's a pagan god. Because no matter how much the show kind of puts Dean as, like, the grunt, and, you know, Sam's the brains and Dean's the brawn or whatever, Dean is very good at his job. He's an excellent He's hunter. He's very knowledgeable he about knows, different things. <laughs> he knows so much, and he put together these pieces on his own. He didn't need Sam, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really show how they, like, normally, like figure things out, you know, go through yeah. the process of elimination. Do it just cut scenes, that. too. That was the pagan god. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he kind of did. He He's kind of been, like, paying attention. Yeah. Whereas, because usually, it's all, for this episode, for Dean, it's all internal. Usually, yeah. he'd have Sam to kind of bounce ideas off of, and they go back and forth, and now mm-hmm. he's just doing it himself. So he doesn't have to, like, say it out loud, you know? But you kind of get, like, he has little, like, thoughtful looks when, like, Emily talks about the town being blessed and, like, he sees they're, like, fattening up these, (laughs) this couple for, you know, the sacrifice and stuff. Dean's very smart and he he puts the pieces together on his own. Um, But he does say, you know, Sam's like, well, like, do you need my help? And Dean's like, oh, I'm on my way to talk to a professor at a community college. I don't have my my trusty geek boy <laughs> to do the research for me. Because for all it, Dean is very smart. He is not a big fan of research. I mm-hmm. think Dean is more of, like, a read-for-pleasure kind of guy. Like, he will pick up a book and read it because he's interested he wants in it. to and he's interested in it. Yeah. yeah. But he's not very big on like, reading for necessity. I bet, I know for a fact that he hated school. (laughs) Like, he probably hated required reading for school and stuff, you know? And he probably discovered some good books that way. Like, I think everyone has discovered, like, there was at least one required reading book where you were like, you know, (laughs) that's actually actually kind of good. Yeah. (laughs) There was a couple in my high school career that I was like, "Mm -hmm, I might hang on to this one because it's actually pretty good. Most of the other ones There's some I hated, but... (laughs) Most of them I was like... A lot of them I liked. Yeah. I there I think there was like two specifically. One was speak, um, which I, a lot of students didn't like, um, but I, I haven't heard of that one. Specifically enjoyed, and one is called The Alchemist. Um, I don't remember hmm. who it's by. I heard that was good. I love that one. I love. I have a bunch of that author's books, but I can't remember his name. Um, and I I love his writing style. He's very poetic. His imagery and his way with words is just beautiful. Um, I mostly had to read, like, classic, like, classics, in quotes, you know, mm-hmm. in high school. The two I enjoyed a lot, though, were um, Jane Eyre. was really good. I didn't read that one. And um, The Secret Life of Bees was also really good. I also didn't... I haven't even heard of that one. Really? I might have to read that. It's a really good okay. book and a pretty good movie, too. Yeah. Hmm. One I also enjoyed was Travels with Charlie. Um, who is that by? I don't remember that's by. I haven't heard of that one either. Uh, who is Travels with Charlie by? It's literally kind of like... Oh, it's John Steinbeck. Mm. Um, it's... I had to read Grapes of it's Wrath. It's a travelogue. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I did not like that. <laughs> oh, didn't like that one either. Uh, it depicts a 1960 road trip around the U.S. that was made by Steinbeck with his poodle Charlie. Cute. Why can't we read that one instead of Grapes of Wrath? <laughs> I read that one in my my honors English class my senior year. Nice. Yeah, I like that book. Um, but yeah, I feel like De- I, Dean is definitely very smart, and he has his own book, mar- book smarts, and he remembers things. I feel like 
remembers things. Yeah. I, f- I feel like Dean has a really good memory for details. Like, Sam also has a very good memory. But I think... I don't know. Yeah. Dean's just... Dean's a lot more book smart than this show kind of portrays him to be. Well, you can tell he's the type of person that's, like, studied to memorization, like, every single page of the dad's diary, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. He definitely read John's journal a million times. He knows every single creature in there and all the weaknesses and backstory and everything. Because it's usually Dean who's, like... I think Sam does it a couple times, but it's most often seems to be Dean who's like, no, there's a thing about this in Dad's journal, you know, it flips you can to the turn right to page, the page and, yeah. right away, yeah. yeah, which is very impressive because I don't, I don't think that has a table of contents. <laughs> I think he's got a decent memory for recall. I, I don't remember who it was. I think it's in uh, in Asylum that Sam says that John writes like freaking Yoda or something like that. Really? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he writes like Yoda. I don't know what that means, but it's probably nothing too, uh, like, complimentary. <laughs> Eats flesh when dingo do. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy with rock salt, ghosts you do. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. But yeah, that, there's no way there's a table of contents in that thing. So, like, Dean definitely has that, like, kind of memorized... Um, but yeah, I like when Dean gets to be smart. When Dean gets to kind of show off that he's not just, like, the dude with a gun. Yeah. Like, he's got brains in there, too. When they, when they each get to kind of do their other person's role a little bit, which it's they kind of switch roles a little yeah. bit in this one. It's nice to see it switched up a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely nice. Well, and I like it, too, because they both definitely have their strengths. Mm-hmm. And then they're very good at playing to each other's strengths, because, like, Dean's like, well, Sam will go to the library and do the thing, you know, yeah. and I'll go and do this thing, you know, and they, they both think, they kind of have, they work as a team because they both have different strengths, and there's some things they're both good at, but, you know, yeah, like they... They can do both. <laughs> yeah. They could do the job on their own they if they needed to. They could both do the job on their own if they need to. Yeah, I think this episode kind of proves, at least to, uh, well, to a up point... Well, up to a point, anyways. <laughs> ...that Dean could do the job on his own. <laughs> but they um, they do it better together. But they do work better together. And that's something the show always demonstrates they, when they get when they separate for some reason or another. And the other one somehow gets the other one out of some sticky situation. <laughs> yep, yep. Usually, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, Dean is going to a community college to talk to this professor about who the god is, uh, try to figure it out. Um, this is where Dean actually, he, he starts to apologize, he tries to apologize to Sam, but he can't quite get the words out, but Sam knows what he's trying to say. He's one of those Uh, people that sucks at apologizing. (laughs) Yeah, he really does. Uh, and Sam says that he's sorry too. And then we get a really touching little brother moment, where, cause- Earlier in the episode when they first celebra- separated, um, Dean called Sam selfish for wanting to go and do his own thing. Yeah. Um, and in this scene, I think Dean's kind of sat on it, because in that moment it was very impulsive and fresh. It was a very raw moment. You know, they were just, you know, going at it. But Dean's kind of sat with it for a little while, and he's like, he's like, no, I'm not, like, he... He's, he's sad to see his brother leave him, but 
he he tells Sam that he's always admired that Sam lives his own life and stands up to John. Yeah, um, I kind of made a note of that in Link. I think Dean admits that he had a hard he has a hard time standing up to John mm-hmm. and that he's always admired that Sam has the ability to do that. Yeah. Better well, than he I does think, and the confidence to do that. I, I think. think the reason Sam can do it is because of Dean. Yeah. Um because um, it's like, obviously, like, John is their dad, but it sometimes feels, well, not feels, it kind of is a little canonical that Dean raised Sam. Mm-hmm. Dean raised Sam to be his own person. And, obviously, like, <laughs> making a child parent another child is a horribly neglectful, traumatic thing that can happen. Uh, to, or that can be done to a child, especially an older sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dean, Dean raised Sam really good. He did a good job. Uh, and he raised an independent man who will, is willing to stand up for himself, even against his own family, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and Sam saw Dean, like, being the good soldier and, but, and not, I feel like Dean doesn't feel like he can go against John. He kind of gets a little better at it as the season goes on. I think you know? part of that is he's always had to look after Sam. He's always had to look after Sam and, jo- Sam and John was the expert. John yeah. was the, John's the guy who knows what's going on. And so Dean's gonna adhere to John's orders because then they'll be safe because John knows what he's talking about. You know, mm-hmm. um, whereas Sam never really had that. Sam kind of had a little more freedom, and then I think it also helps what I was talking about earlier, where Sam never felt the same drive for revenge that John and Jean did through John was feeling. You know, mm-hmm. growing up, so Sam was always like the outsider in that way, and it, that separation and, you know, mm-hmm. allowed him to grow into someone who could be his own person a little more. Um, this is a very poignant little moment. It's also the first time that Dean will say I'm proud of you to Sam. Happens a few times throughout the series, and each time is emotional and sweet. <laughs> um, good lord, we were almost three hours. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> There's a lot that's probably going to get trimmed out. Um, this is definitely our longest episode so far. I just had so much to talk about in this one. And we are not even done. <laughs> um, We're good there. At the bus station, Meg asks Sam who called. Uh, he tells her it was Dean. And then she asks what he, what he had to say. And Sam says that Dean called to say goodbye. Which, because that's kind of what Dean was doing with. He was like, you go do. He was like, you, you know go and find dad and I'll see you when it's done, you know? Or I'll see you when, you know, I see you, kind of. Yeah. Uh, we go to Dean talking to the professor and this is where we learn uh, what the, the monster is. Um, Dean knows exactly what to ask. Uh, where, where did the Burkittsville settlers come from? Because he knows that um, no one brought it over with yeah. their ancestors, yeah, their beliefs and uh, traditions. They came from 
uh, Scandinavia. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, he asks what, like, pagan, what Scandinavian pagan gods are related to orchards or forests and trees and stuff. The professor, like, pulls out this old book that's a really cool prop and pages through it and Dean spots a page that has a picture of a scarecrow. And this is where we learned th- about the veneer. Um, and what Dean <clears throat> reads about the veneer, where is it? Um, I don't know if I saved that quote. Um, okay, so in supernatural lore, the the veneer is the embodiment of a Norse pagan god who, in return for a sacrifice, granted the presenters with wealth, security, and protection. Uh, in ancient times, the villagers would build an effigy in their fields for the god to possess. It would often resemble a scarecrow and was used by the god to collect the sacrifice. And the sacrifice pattern required a male and female and followed an annual cycle. Uh, each veneer was linked to, a, linked to a sacred tree, and the tree was the source of its power. If the tree was destroyed, the god would die. That's kind of the lore that gets established throughout this episode. Not all in this scene, but throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this specific veneer was brought to America by colonists uh, to what is now present-day Indiana. where They formed the town of Burkittsville, and they falsely told traveling tourist couples that their, something about their car needed repairing, and would then would... Uh, use them as a sacrifice, and the veneer possessed this scarecrow in the orchard. Um. Uh, in, like, v- real-world Norse lore, Freya, uh, Freya, Freyr, and Njord, I think is how you pronounce that, were the usually named veneer deities, but in actuality, there is a conflict between the veneer and the Aesir, the two groups, uh, uh, while there was conflict between the Veneer and the Aesir, the two groups intermarried. So it was a type of one of the two groups of the Norse gods. Um, and while Scan- German- Germanic and Scandinavian tribes did pr- practice human sacrifice, surviving evidence indicates that the god Odin of the Aesir was the most common recipient of human offerings. Which is very interesting. Did you see anything about that? Um, yeah, some similar things. Um, the veneer are usually considered the gods of fertility, earthly abundance, and material prosperity. Um, and then some of their signs and symbols, which were, like, earth tones and colors. Um, earthly abundance, farming and fishing. Um, celebration, physical pleasure, and blood sacrifice. Um, so that's all the stuff I found that was kind of connected to the story. Yeah. This is all just found in Norse mythology. Um, I just found a site that I can link where I got that information, I'll, but... I'll make, tr- make sure to drop that in the show If notes. you know a lot about Norse mythology, you can go into more detail. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot to do with, uh... There's a lot of uh, lore out there about Norse mythology. There's so much. It's a very, um... Very interesting. And honestly, I don't know religion, much about it. So, religion. um, I've I, I had a small obsession with it when I was younger, but I think I forgot most of it. <laughs> that was the first time I've heard of the veneer. So yeah, they're kind of like the <coughs> the foil for the Azir because the Azir is like 
Odin and Thor and, you know, mm, okay. all those guys. And then the Vanir are... Um, and their enemies? You know, Freya and... Not enemies. And, like, the, the, the Super Wiki says that they didn't... They did have their conflicts, but they were, like, two separate peoples that kind of mingled together a bit, it sounds mm. like. There was some, like, intermarrying and yeah. things like that. So, um... So, yeah. so saying that the scarecrow is the veneer, that doesn't really make sense yeah, in it Norse is mythology. A veneer. Um, this specific one, uh, I think they say the veneer in the in reference to this specific veneer, but they don't actually name the god. Which one it is? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Dean learns that this specific god pictured uh, uh, a scarecrow is tied to a sacred tree that was brought over. Um, and then he, like, tries to leave and is ambushed by the cop. <laughs> Which I guess this professor is in on it all. I guess so. Yeah, and here we get a conversation in the rain, because... Why is it in the rain? I don't know, I don't know. I wouldn't stand around and have a conversation well, in the rain, but... I think it's starting to show that the sacrifice, you know, didn't happen on time. I didn't even think about that. So, they're starting to have some bad luck now. I didn't think about that. I was just thinking about why the fuck are they standing out in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought of that. Um, But, yeah, we learned that the town, like, the orchard is already dying. One of the signs and symbols are earth and good weather. Oh, interesting. Bad weather is happening, so. Yeah. I mean, you do need rain for crops, but, you know. Yeah. Um, So, we learn in this scene that, like, so this scene involves Scotty, the sheriff, and then, like, Emily's aunt and uncle, that older couple. The car people. Yeah, they're talking about how <laughs> the god is angry, the orchard is already starting to die, um, because it, they, they need a new sacrifice, and they, uh, they, the, the uncle doesn't want to sacrifice this girl they're talking about who I think it's pretty easy to figure out is Emily even before they reveal it he's like the boy understand but why does it have to be her you know why does it have to be her because I think she's the only one like young person so they have to be young I guess I I guess I don't know (laughs) Um, that was never clarified really but yeah but they they lock Emily in the basement in a basement with Dean um and then we cut to the the bus station where the the bus to Sacramento has come in, but Sam can't get a hold of Dean and decides to go to Burkittsville instead of to California. Uh, who is very... She acts, like, very upset about this. She's like, really? You're not gonna come with me? Like, really? Like... But, but she trying to kidnap him like, at this moment? But we're, like, connected, and you're gonna go with your jerk brother who you were complaining about? And Sam's like... Yeah, because he's family, and I'm that like... That just met you. <laughs> he just fucking met you, lady. He'd known you for, like, a half a day. But was she trying to kidnap him? I don't... I think she's just trying to drive that wedge between... You know, she's well, just trying to separate What would have she done if he would have gone with her? That's what... That's a, that's a really interesting thought. Well, for one, Dean probably would have died. Um, yes. Or unless he did actually have a plan. He has a plan. He a plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dean probably would have died. Uh, and Emily. And Emily. Emily also would have died. And the town would continue doing its thing. <laughs> um, but I don't know what would happen to Sam. Like, how would it... That's so... I wonder... Because I forgot what her grandmaster plan was for him again. <laughs> um, she doesn't want him yet, right? Because the end scene. 
Well, she wants him now, but at the end of the episode, the, like, the being that she is, that's, like, she's, uh, reporting to is, like, it's okay. Like, the timeline. So she was gonna do something with him. Yeah, I think they were gonna do whatever was going, I don't know. Because obviously this whole episode, she's trying to get him away from Dean. Yeah. Trying to get him to do something. Yeah. I think they find they probably just saw an, an opportunity that they the boys separated on their own and were like, oh well, let's just get ahead on things. Yeah. Um. Instead of like having to find a way to separate them later, um. But it obviously they didn't stay separated, so they just kind of the uh, Azazel was just like, oh well, we'll just uh, you know, see what happens. That's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> you just dropped the A word. I just dropped the A word. Oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so we go back to the orchard where the, or to the basement where Dean has kind of explained what's going on to Emily, who we find out did not know anything about the pagan god. Uh, Dean needs Emily's help finding the tree. It's really old, probably like considered sacred. And she tells him about the first tree that was brought over by the settlers. Uh, and then the town folk come and they tie. Emily and Dean up in the orchard. Uh, God, this feels like a fucking cult. Yes. Doesn't it feel like a cult They to are you? crazy cult religious people. Yeah. The, and, the and aunt honestly, has it this was whole a thing tiny about, bit triggering her speech. It was a little bit. Because I'm like, I've heard the speech in a forum yeah. before in my past religious experience, and I yeah. don't like it. <laughs> the aunt has this whole little speech about how sacrifice for the greater is good. supposed to be painful, and this is for the greater good. And Which... I don't understand exactly what happens to the town if they stop doing this. The town will die off because all, all the, the other will die or all well like the all the other towns around them are like dying in the sen- in the way the towns die, you know, where they're just not bringing any money anymore. Would that There's be the no... worst thing in the world though? <laughs> well, for this town, they want they want to keep their home. Yeah. You know. So at the cost of blood sacrifice though but they've been doing it for like in, since they first in arrived in your morality there. okay so it's i like, don't like any of these people it is legit like a, a multi-generational cult is what it kind of feels though, like. like i don't like any of them you, either you guys could just move somewhere else <laughs> not the end of the world <laughs> yeah but. um but yeah the the aunt has this about how the needs of the money many outweigh the needs of the one the wiki says this is potentially a star trek reference i feel like star trek didn't come up with that saying but i don't know for sure spock like has a thing about that the bible i don't know <laughs> i don't know um but they're not they're i feel like they're not christian considering they well, worship a, a norse god <laughs> um so but still, Dean religion get, is religion. Yes, yeah. Dean gets his uh, much-quoted line, uh, I hope your apple pie is freaking worth it. <laughs> he never got to try that apple pie. We all know he would have said a different word. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, Emily asks if Dean has a plan, and he says, I'm working on it. And then we cut to Nightfall, and she goes, do you have a plan? And he says, I'm working on it. Uh, and he asks her if she can see the scarecrow, but she can't, but they hear footsteps. And it's Sam! I love this little moment. Because Dean's like, how did you get here? And Sam's like, I stole a car. And Dean's like, that's my boy! <laughs> like, he's so proud of his brother for being a criminal. 
Uh, but Sam gets them untied and tells Sam that the scarecrow could come alive at any minute. And Sam says, what scarecrow? Because <laughs> the scarecrow is already alive. <laughs> um, and then it's a little bit of a deus, deus ex scarecrow moment Wait, how did here. Sam know where to find Dean is the question? Well, because he went to the town... Yeah. And Dean had told him that there was, like, a scarecrow in the orchard. Oh, okay. In the phone call earlier. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he gets Dean and Emily untied, and they're trying to run from the orchard when they're stopped by the townsfolk, and then we get a deus ex scarecrow. I'm gonna say that joke again, because I think it's funny. Um, where the scarecrow attacks the aunt and uncle instead of- Serves them right? (laughs) Yeah. And drags them into the orchard. Karma. Yeah. Uh, and then the the rest, the other, Scotty and the sheriff run away, and then... Does that not count as a sacrifice? <laughs> no, they, I think they do count as a sacrifice. But the next morning they burn the tree. Uh. So, um, yeah, they go find the sacred tree. It's got, like, runes carved on it, and they burn it. And Emily insists on setting the fire herself, which, like, understandable. Um... And they take Emily to the bus station to go to Boston, I think, according to the, uh... Boston. (laughs) I think that's the only word I can say in an accent. Boston. 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 (laughs) You know what I always forget is that Chris Evans is from from Massachusetts. He's got an accent, and he usually, like, kills it off for things, but when he lets it out, it's, it's intense. Um... Okay, so they get Emily on, they say goodbye to Emily, uh, and then Dean asks if he can drop Sam off anywhere, but Sam says that Dean is stuck with him. Uh, Sam still wants to find John, and Dean's still a pain in the ass. (laughs) Um, but Jess and Mary are gone, John is God knows where, and as far as Sam can see at this moment in time, Sam and Dean are all that's left, so they're gonna see this through to the end together. Sam has these little speeches sometimes. <laughs> this is his first one, I think. He has, he'll have more as the season goes, and Dean will take them more seriously later on. But this time, Dean just says, Hold me, Sam, that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and that is the end of the episode for the boys, but we get a bonus little scene. With more Meg, which is never a bad thing, because I love her. Uh, and the music in this scene, it's Push-Ins by Autumn's De- Descent for Netflix, but the original is Bad Company, and yeah, it's I, perfect. it's amazing. <laughs> Fits it's perfectly. It's absolutely perfect. Um, Meg is hitchhiking with another creepy dude. She asks him to pull over, and she says it all like sultry and flirty and he gets excited and does uh and then she pulls out the blood goblet says she needs to make a call and he's like i have a phone and she says not that kind of call and then slits his throat it's intense and fills the goblet with his blood yeah and then she like swirls her finger in it and says some words i think it's latin and the blood gets all bubbly and weird uh and then she talks to someone that we can't hear and she calls him father. She calls him father. Which I never noticed that before. Yeah. I don't think... How does demon fathering work? I think... Uh, I've, I've always kind of interpreted this as, like, um, this is the demon that turned her into a demon. You know? Like... Do they physically kinda like, get... Kind of like how vampires sometimes work, where you have, is like... Is that how the, demons work? The sire, you, you know? Just... Turn into a demon once you go to hell. 
No. You don't, like, step into hell and become a demon. You become a demon because you were, like, tortured in hell. And well, then, yeah. um, uh, when you, uh, either after enough time you're corrupted, or, like, you decide to do, the, you give in and start doing the torturing yourself, you know? And that'll corrupt the soul, and I think there's other ways that it happens. But, that's kind of what I've always figured this is, is kind of like with vampires and media where like the sire vampire is the one that turned the person into the vampire you know mm-hmm. I've always figured that's kind of how it is with these demons but she calls him father makes um, sense but yeah and that is the end of this episode and we have been talking or I've been talking <laughs> for three hours <laughs> I'm sorry these are two really good episodes and I'm really glad we cover them together yeah, because um, they really they really fit together with Sam. Uh, Sam's frustration with John, like keeping them separated, and he he wants to go find John, and he wants to get his revenge, and he wants to, you know, he doesn't want to keep just following orders. And then it like kind of builds through Asylum, and we get this head. But it's not really a release of that tension for Sam. It's like a small release, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it builds a little more at the beginning of Scarecrow, and then we get the blow-up. Uh, and we get, and then we get Sam, like, actually thinking things through a little bit more after he's blown up, which, like, I feel you there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. I also love Sam's little speech at the end about how, like, you know, John's doing fuck knows. Jess is gone. Mary is gone. The boys, all the boys have are each other. You know, mm-hmm. and this is something that's going to get reiterated over and over again through the seasons. Is that even, no matter how many, like, people they make friends with and stuff, at the end of the day, all they have to rely on is each other. And that is, like, the core of this show, is these boys and their sometimes kind of fucked up <laughs> relationship, where they just, they depend on each other for everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you have any final thoughts, babe? I talked a lot. <laughs> I talked so much. My throat hurts a little bit. Good fucking lord. Side panel. Um. No. What are we covering next week? What are we covering next week? That's a good I- good question. I almost said a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> is it Faith? Uh, we have or is it 12 two-parter? and 13. I know one I of them's Faith. I don't remember. Is one of them Faith? Yeah, that was the next one on the DVD. Um, we're on, oh, I'm on the uh, monster wiki page still. I need to go back to. Oh yeah, one of them is Faith. And the other is Route 666. No. <laughs> Monster truck. And then the one after that is Nightmare. I think I have Nightmare on its own for a reason. Cause What's I talk- the Nightmare one again? That's the first one where we meet another kid with powers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I think that's all for this episode. Um, next week, 
We are covering episodes 12 and 13, Faith and Route 666. Faith is such a good episode. One of which is an excellent episode, one of which ha... It's not. (laughs) No. Probably one of the weakest ones in the entire series. Yeah. At least the one I've seen so far. It's definitely one of the weakest ones in season one, which is saying something, because season one's pretty strong. Um, but yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. I love Faith. Such a good episode. I like Cassie in Route 666. I like her. Who's that? That's Dean's girlfriend. That's a lot of girlfriends. The love interest in that episode. Um, she's the one who, like, calls them in. Um, but yeah. I like, I like Faith. Love Faith. Great episode. (laughs) Um, and I like Cassie. (laughs) Okay. That's like me to like the pretty girl. The episode, huh? <laughs> to make the like the pretty girl best in the episode. <laughs> That's a mood. Uh, okay. Um. Yeah. I think that is it for this week. Um. <sighs> okay. But yeah. If you if you have any feedback, if you know what panels I've been forgetting the locations and dates of the for the stories that I mentioned. Um. Thoughts on your own thoughts on the episode. Uh, I'd I'd really love to hear from you guys. Um, I think it would be really cool. I want, I want to hear from our listeners. I mm-hmm. think it'd be fun. We haven't had much feedback yet. No, no. As of recording this episode, we haven't gotten too much feedback. What we have gotten is positive, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, helps us feel encouraged to keep going. Um, also that we're having a lot of fun. <laughs> we're yeah. having a grand time. I'm having a grand time. I don't know how you're feeling. Tired. Based on... I've had fun. Based uh, on how you're leaning on me. <laughs> I like doing the podcast. It's yeah. been fun. Yay. And I like doing it with you. Oh, I like doing it with you. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I think that is all for today. Uh, if you guys want to give us a, a rating on whatever, uh, podcast app you're using, it's much appreciated. It helps people find the show. Um... And also lets us know that you're liking it. Um, but until next time, you guys can find the podcast on Twitter at Talk About Sam Pod, uh, on Instagram at We Need to Talk About Sam Podcast, and on Tumblr at We Need to Talk About Sam. Uh, you can contact me at any of those. Uh, I'm uh, Little Red Who Could on Twitter and the Little Red Who Could on Tumblr. Haley, my love, are you awake? Mm hmm. Okay, where can the people find you? <laughs> um, on Twitter, you can find me at lifeflowson3 and Tumblr at hfthoughts-blog. Awesome. Uh, and I think that is it for this week, so thank you so much for listening, guys, and we will see you next Sunday. Bye! Adios. <laughs> Adios. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I got a, a wooden wick Yankee candle one that smells nice, like if you like smell the jar, the lid, but when you light it, it doesn't smell like anything, which is really disappointing. Um, and then there's like a cinnamony, like holiday scented one. I mean, not that mahogany balsam isn't holiday scented, but it has <laughs> penguins wearing scarves yeah, on the front. It does. <laughs> the jar, the, the sticker, and penguins wearing scarves. And it says holiday traditions. <laughs> They're decorating a tree. <laughs> but it's definitely targeted to be a winter one. <laughs> it's a little less winter than like a heavy cinnamon scented one. Yeah. Also, it's a bit just generally of a lighter scent. True. Alright. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we get started? I feel like there was something that I mentioned yesterday. I was like, oh, we should talk about that in the podcast tomorrow. But I didn't write it down or anything, so I don't know what it was. These episodes, I think, ended up together by accident, uh, just by virtue of how we worked out the rest of the season. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm trying to see what pictures you got. Oh, Oh, Cass. Hi, Cass. (laughs) You're so cute. You can pull them out if you want. Where'd you get these? Creation. Sorry. <laughs> Dumping stuff <laughs> off my desk. It's all into your laundry basket. <laughs> into my laundry basket. I was I just trying a, to look. I have a stack of stuff on my desk, and at the bottom of this stack is some plastic sleeves with um, some prints. Promo picture prints that I got at Vegas Con in 2019 of a variety of supernatural characters. Um, Haley was looking at them, but in doing so, she knocked a bunch of stuff off the top of the stack, including, I think, some napkins and re- or disposable masks and stuff. Yes. But they went into my laundry basket. <laughs> Which is right behind it. So that was convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, babe. I've been Snoopy. I saw pictures. I was like, ooh, pictures. <laughs> uh. That was cute. Okay. Alright, let's get into episodes, I guess. Um, do you want to turn on that light? My grow light turning off. Oh. We're gonna get a little bit of a. She knocked over Phil! That's not very weighted base. No. I was looking at Museum Putty. And you can just buy it on Amazon. Um, I have grill lights in my bedroom. And when they turn off for the evening, I like to turn off my overhead lights as well. To, like, kind of not disturb my plants. (laughs) You know, they can... They're okay in natural light, too. Or unnatural light. (laughs) Well, because, like... Plants kind of, they, like, have a 
a schedule like we do. <laughs> too. So you My have plans to give them. don't. <laughs> you take well, care your of the plants better. are on the other side of a curtain. <laughs> I mean, it's a shitty, flimsy curtain, but it's still a curtain. True. Um, but, okay. So...